0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I don't have a mark on my face, yes. and I'm son on and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. in right. I wrote a short poem, it says it will be a killer and a thriller and a killer when I get the gorilla in Manila. That's <laughs> I am the greatest. I'm going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. George can't hit what his hands can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. He think he will, but I know he won't. They tell me George is good, but I'm twice as nice. And I'm going to stick to his butt like white old rice. That's right. George is the greatest of all time. Of all time. Of all time.
2: Muhammad Ali passing away on the weekend. Shouldn't have been a shock. He's, um had been in ailing health for a long time. But for some reason, it, it struck me and it stuck with me, his death. He's someone that uh, had come back to boxing when I was young, but too young to really be watching boxing. But I heard stories both from my, my stepdad and my grandfather. My grandfather really liked boxing and somehow that got passed on to me. Muhammad Ali was brilliant in the ring. He's someone that went beyond boxing, though. He was part of pop culture all through the 70s, even into the 80s. He's someone that people looked up to. I was thinking about it on the weekend. Why do we get upset when people that we don't really know, but who we've watched in some form or another pass away? And I think the reason is that we look to them for inspiration. It's not wrong. I mean, we, we you can turn around and say someone like Muhammad Ali was just an, another man. Muhammad Ali was just a guy. Absolutely he was. And the same would be true of Prince. These people are human. They make mistakes. Obviously, with Prince, we found out last week that his death was the cause of was caused by a drug overdose he was taking opioids good chance it was fentanyl the same thing killing street people in vancouver killing the middle class in vancouver david bowie before him yep these people they have their faults but when they are performing they are a wonder to watch, whether we're talking about Prince or Bowie or Muhammad Ali, they are a wonder to watch because they are so good at what they do and they inspire us. Morley Safer, great broadcaster, just passed away. Does, did he have his faults? Absolutely. But these people are inspirations. It'd be a mistake not to look up to them. Definitely a mistake to to worship and put them on pedestals where they can't be touched. Because, believe me, they all have their problems. We all do. But Muhammad Ali, I just kept watching videos of him on the weekend, both in the ring and the trash-talking that you just heard. He was a master of it. He was a guy that, you know... The excitement was before the boxing match even took place with the Thrilla in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle, all of these things, and I can't think of anyone since. I mean, Larry Holmes was, he was big. He was no Muhammad Ali, though. Great fighter, not the character. Mike Tyson was a character, unfortunately, not the best kind of character, but Ali, he was in a class of his own. We're going to be talking with Spider Jones later in the program. He's a Toronto broadcaster, boxer, someone who was Muhammad Ali's sparring partner at one point, and someone that I used to work with down at News Talk 1010. So Spider will be on to talk about that. Right now, though, I want to turn to a story that we broke this morning over at The Rebel. And it's, um, man, talk about faults. It's about a guy named David Hurley. David Hurley is someone who's been involved in liberal politics for a very long time. And it's been good to him. This was Paul Martin's closest political advisor when Paul Martin was finance minister and just trying to overthrow Jean Chrétien. David Hurley helped Paul Martin organize an awful lot of what happened in those years to oust Chrétien. He stayed Paul Martin's closest political advisor when he was in the prime minister's office. And all along the way, David Hurley and the firms that he worked for would get government contracts. Well, now he's transferred that to Ontario. He now runs a company called the Gandalf Group. And on their own website, on the Gandalf Group's website, they state that David Hurley was liberal campaign co-chair and steered the liberals to an election victory in 2014. Then last year, the last fiscal year, the Premier's office at Queen's Park, it's called the Cabinet Office. They handed out almost $900,000 in contracts in one fiscal year to the Kandoff Group. Does that look a little, that sound a little funny to you? One polling firm gets almost a million dollars from the Premier's office? What definitely sounds funny to me. We found this out through submitting a Freedom of Information request. They sent us a list of 30 contracts. We wanted all the contracts given out by the Cabinet Office. 30 contracts. Only one was as big, well, none were as big as David Hurley's $836,600 contract. That was one of them. He had another contract for just under $50,000. So all told, almost nine hundred thousand dollars given to the firm run by the guy that helped Kathleen Wynne get elected. Her office says, "Oh no, no, this was all. This wasn't a political favor. This was all done by bureaucrats." To which senior liberals that I've been speaking to laughed. They said, "No, that's not how the premier's office works. I'm, I'm not sure that junior staffer you're speaking to knows what she's talking about." Patrick Brown thinks there's something. Funny going on. Here's what the Ontario PC leader told me.
3: This is just another example of the Liberals' ethical lapses. Almost a million dollars from Kathleen Wynne's office uh, to uh, someone who's the Liberal Party strategist, pollster, uh, unacceptable. Another blatant example of how taxpayer dollars are being taken to benefit the Liberal Party.
2: And benefit someone very close to the Liberal Party. He remains a Liberal Party pollster, my understanding is that there are several other government departments under contract to the Gandalf Group for polling services. So your money is going to this man's firm. Is he providing the services? I hope so. I would assume so. But is he getting these contracts in a fair and square manner or is he getting them because Kathleen Wynne hired him to run his campa- her campaign and he helped her win? Is this political favoritism? Is this the old-fashioned liberal scratching each other's backs? Not only Patrick Brown, but Andrea Horvath. When we come back, we'll speak with Lowell Green about this and other topics, but I'll bring you comments from Andrea Horvath, who hopefully will be joining us on the program later today, as will Patrick Brown, to discuss this. It is a disturbing turn of events when it looks like your tax dollars are being used to reward liberal friends. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: Andrea Horvath says there's a reason why people are feeling left behind by this government. Time and time again, from the gas plant scandal to recent allegations of pay-for-play fundraisers, they keep putting their friends and their own political interests first rather than doing what's right for the people of Ontario. That's what Andrea Horvath told me late yesterday via email in response to this this story that we broke over at The Rebel. You can find it at therebel.media or on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lilly. $900,000 almost in polling contracts to Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager. That's from one office alone, Lowell. That's just from her office, never mind uh, the energy department, the environment ministry, health, uh, other departments that I'm told the the same company's getting lucrative contracts from.
4: Well, it's pretty clear that uh, the best way to get rich in this province is be a really good friend of the Liberal Party. But but I I, want to congratulate the rebel on this. When uh, I mean, this is obviously something that the mainstream media is not picking up. Had it not been for you guys, I doubt very much we would ever have learned this. When when did the rebel break this story, Brian? Uh, I posted uh, the copy just after midnight. Now, is there any indication that the mainstream media has picked any of this up?
2: Well, uh, so far, I can tell you that uh, it's being picked up on talk radio, including our sister station 1010 in Toronto. Uh, And uh, I did notice one CBCer retweeted it saying, good story. A tweet?
5: Yeah.
4: But I I see nothing. I mean, I I read, uh, you know, the Globe and Mail, the, the National Post, the Ottawa Citizen, the Sun. I see no mention of this in any of our leading newspapers. Am I correct on that?
2: Yeah, most likely. Now, that could change because they may be asking about this in question period today.
4: But, I mean, this is unbelievable. David Hurley... Almost almost nine hundred thousand dollars for two contracts, contracts issued by the premier's office. And not only that, but I understand that you people in in the in the rebel asked. Okay, the, the the listing is apparently commissioned research services. When you asked, what does this mean? They refused to tell you. So we don't even know if it was polling, do we?
2: Well, I'm assuming it's polling. I mean, that's one of David Hurley and his company's specialties. Um, now, Jennifer Beaudry, who's the spokesperson for Kathleen Wynne, a press secretary, said that every company must be a qualified vendor of record, uh, compete against no less than five competitors. Final decision about which vendor's best is made by three nonpartisan public servants. But, but I'm told that that's absolutely false when it comes to polling contracts. Th- th- those are actually handed out. Directly by the premier. I want this person.
4: But would this polling have been on behalf of the government or on behalf of the Liberal Party?
2: Um, Well, um, one in the same, I suppose.
4: Well, no, this would be
2: for the premier. The cabinet office is like the Privy Council office.
4: No, I understand that. But what I'm saying is that if, in fact, this was polling on behalf of the Liberal Party, then there is no way that the taxpayer should be funding this.
2: Well, okay, so. This would be for the premier's office. Now, is it to benefit her? Is it to benefit the people? I think that would be arguable. But we'd have to know what they were polling on first. But we don't. We still don't know what they're polling on. We're going to keep pushing them on this, and hopefully, the opposition parties do because this is the last week that the legislature's sitting. As Patrick Brown said to me, this is nine hundred thousand dollars from one office yep. of, of money that's not going towards hospitals, schools, families that that want the autism treatment, and all of that.
4: This is one of the things that's driving so many people crazy. I mean, the government says that it's so strapped for funds, it's got to cut payment to doctors, cut payment to hospitals, cut payment for this, cut payment for that, no money for autistic kids, but we've got a million dollars or close to it to give to the co-chair that got uh, Kathleen Wynn elected. I mean, this is outrageous. And once again, I want to congratulate the rebel. You seem to be one of the last people in this province, maybe in the country, doing any <laughs> worthwhile research, for goodness sake. It just seems that if it, if it is going to make the liberals look bad, the mainstream media just backs away, except for you.
2: Well, I, I do want to give a shout-out to Adrian Morrow at the Globe and Mail, who I've never spoken with, but he's broken some good stories on their fundraising down there. But it, it is a... Um, Uh, It's a wide open field. If people want to do research and find good stories, there's not a lot of it happening these days, which is is really sad. There's a lot of stenography going on.
4: There's a lot of corruption going on, too. And you know what? If you were to poll, talking about polling, if you were to poll the average person in the province of Ontario and ask them, do you believe there is corruption at Queen's Park, I'll bet you 90 percent would say yes, they suspect so.
2: You, you know what? I've always thought we had this big um, uh, Charbonneau Commission in Quebec law looking into the yep. corruption, the, the the politicians, organized crime, unions, construction companies uh, with lucrative contracts. And people kept saying, well, that's because Quebec, they're corrupt there. No, I think they have a that was uncovered by some very solid reporting. And I just think that they pay attention to their provincial politics far more than we do in
4: Ontario. Yes, they do. I'm, I just want to remind everyone once again, that it is now four years and six months since police, this is the Ontario Provincial Police, began investigating the Orange scandal. Four years and six months they've been investigating that and not a peep. I contacted them just about, well, about three weeks ago. Still, no, they say the, uh, the investigation is continuing. Uh, how long did it take them to investigate 32 charges against Mike Duffy? I mean, four years and six months to investigate what happened at the Orient. This is outrageous. Yeah.
2: No, it, it completely is.
4: Now, I, on I understand other...
2: you wanted to mention something about the uh, the teacher sick days.
4: Yeah, that and also I just want to remind everyone, I am looking right now at a plaque that I bought on uh, Juno Beach. We have a very fine museum there. Um, this is the 72nd anniversary of D-Day, June 6, 1944. 359 Canadian young men killed on this day on the beaches. Almost 20,000 Canadians killed during the Normandy campaign. But it, uh, the liberation of Europe, the liberation, I think, of, of mankind, of the saviour of mankind, 72 years ago today. I just want yeah. to remind everyone of that. I, yeah, I, I found it outrageous. There's a major story, thank goodness, in the Ottawa Citizen this morning Public school teachers in Ottawa are now taking an average of almost ten sick days every every year. Almost, I mean, that, that's that's about one sick day per month. In sec in the secondary teachers, about the same nine point one four sick days per year. That's a sick day a month. The, the education assistants are taking one sick day about every three weeks. Uh, that's thirteen and a half. Thirteen sick and a days half days a year. Sick days. By education assistance, early childhood educators who work alongside kindergarten teachers, 11 and a half sick days. Uh, I mean, these these teachers are taking about one sick day every three weeks to every four weeks. It's unbelievable. And it's costing us millions and millions of dollars.
2: Well, uh, well, I I looked up the numbers for federal workers and a few years ago it was between 12 and 16 sick days
4: don't forget the teachers i mean they're only working how many, how many weeks do they work
2: you can't call in sick in august can
4: you no, i guess not great talking anyway, to you I just, I just want to congratulate the rebel once again you're doing a hell of a job
2: thank you sir
4: 521 five two one
2: eight two five five. if you want to join the conversation email beyond the news at cfra.com
0: beyond the news with brian Lilly. On News Talk Five Eighty CFRA.
3: This is just another example of the Liberals' ethical lapses. Almost a million dollars from Kathleen Wynne's office uh, to. Uh, Someone who's the Liberal Party strategist, pollster, uh unacceptable, another blatant example of how taxpayer dollars are being taken to benefit the Liberal Party.
2: Is it acceptable to you? Five to one talk, five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. One person, one company, getting Almost $900,000 from the Premier's office alone. That doesn't include the other government work that they have received. That doesn't include the Ontario Liberal Party contracts that they've received. Almost $900,000 to do polling or research services for the Premier's office. Who got the contract? The company run by the man that ran her campaign, David Hurley. It's interesting, when I asked Jennifer Beaudry in the Premier's office, uh, I asked, Couple of people in the Premier's office, but Jennifer Beaudry was the only one that would get back to me. Uh, I don't know Jennifer Beaudry, but a lower level staffer, a junior staffer. She said that this is decided not by the Premier, but by three nonpartisan public servants, and there have to be five different bids. Funny, though, that the only company to get a contract for research or polling services from the Premier's office was run by the man that ran her campaign. As I detail in the story, and you can read the full thing, over at The Rebel, you can find it on my Facebook page, you can find it on Twitter, I point out that Beaudry, in her email to me, cited polling done for the government by Ipsos for the Who Will You Help campaign. Now, this campaign took place in the same time frame as these almost $900,000 in contracts to the Gandalf Group took place. But they're not on the list of contracts that we received. Why? Because it was a government department that hired them. It wasn't awarded through Wynn's personal department. The only polling or research contracts awarded went to Kathleen Wynn's campaign manager. Does that seem suspect to you? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm hoping that this issue is being raised in question period at Queen's Park, because we need to know more about this. The public treasury should not be there for politicians to reward their friends. Don't care who we're talking about. It should not be there to reward friends. Am I alleging that David Hurley or the Gandalf Group did anything illegal here? Nope. Am I alleging that they did not provide the polling services requested? Nope. But I am questioning how these contracts were awarded. And I do think that, given that we all paid for it, the Premier's office should be releasing. I asked what type of research services did Gandalf Group provide? They didn't answer. And something tells me that they won't unless there's a lot of heat put on them. 521-TALK, five two one eight two five five star 580 on Bell Mobility. This is, unfortunately, an ongoing problem in the province of Ontario. This is the way the Liberal Party, at some levels, works. To me, this is an example of David Hurley scratched her back. This is payback time. This is an example of liberals looking after liberals, as Patrick Brown said. That's not what the public treasury is there for. It's not there to reward your friends. It's not there to make sure that all your buddies are taken care of. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Guy Indian, you're on Beyond the News.
6: Hi, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was spurred to call with regards to Lowell's comments this morning and as you know, I've done extensive research on this the past few years, Uh, Superintendent Dave Truax's name is always attached to the Liberal investigations. Now, his rank has increased in the past seven years, since 2007. But we actually haven't seen too much from Sergeant, or was then Sergeant Dave Truax. He's now a Deputy Superintendent. Now, I'm not alleging anything wrong either, Brian, but... You know, one has to scratch their head um, after four and a half years when all the prima facie evidence against Uh, and against the 14 for-profit companies and against the $6.7 million marketing payment made to Augusta Westland and all that stuff and the $20 million bond. You're
2: going back to Orange here. $20 million
6: missing in the bond issue for the helicopters from Alfie Apps, remember that name?
2: Mm
7: -hmm. You know, it's
6: all there, Brian. So I was wondering, Brian, I know they can't comment on the specific cases because they are uh, under investigation. But, Brian, can we get this Dave Truax, this mysterious man of investigation, on the phone to at least find out if in this banana republic if we're ever going to see justice for the liberals. uh
2: Would we get any actual answers from him? The answer yeah, would I'd, be I'd like no. To see
6: if he exists. Does he exist?
2: Well, I'm sure he exists, but will we get answers? No.
6: Okay, I talked to Andre Duval, who is heading up the investigation for the 27 hard drives on Lowell's uh, request a few years back. I got in touch with Andre Duval. He's actually quite a nice guy. His comments to me were, you know, guy, I'm a taxpayer, too, and there's a lot of rank-and-file people that aren't happy with this. That includes some of the close security to the premier, which I asked on Friday when she was at the Shadow Lurie. I said, so how do you feel about protecting this woman, you know, with everything that's going on? And I just got a couple of shakes of the head. But Andre Duval says he's a taxpayer, too. Now, 27 hard drives. They said it would take about a year to recover the data. That is long past. Well, There's we've got two. We've got
2: page. two. We've got two people charged. Do you have a comment on on today's story about David yes, Hurley and the and, and the the contracts?
6: Yes, I do. Nine hundred thousand dollars peanuts. Let's talk about Mike Crawley, $460 million fit contract for 20 years, which he sold to the Saudis, He used to stuff envelopes for Bob Shirelli over on Carling Avenue. Talk about the biggest crime in the century in this province. George Smitherman and Mike Crawley on CFRA with Steve Maidley and Lowell Green a couple of years ago. Did anybody in, in Toronto cover it? Did CF? Did uh, CTVW5 cover it when I called them? Did anybody at the Fifth Estate return my calls when I had we had all the information? No, only Sun News. In the program Downwind mentioned it. So let's just go on the record with regards to the liberal mainstream media in this province. That's why you're not getting any action, because the liberals own the media.
2: Guy, thanks for the call. Let's go to Bill in Ottawa, calling in about uh, David Hurley and the contracts. Hi. Hi.
8: Um, you know, it seems to me, you know, all the life that I've been listening to the uh, to political discussion and that, it doesn't matter what party gets in there. We talk about the same thing with each party. Each party seems to have their their people that has helped them get elected, and then for some reason they show up getting contracts. That I don't think I'm far off on that comment at all. And it depends on what leaning the media has, de- based on on that, will determine which party they're gonna they're going to expose or, or focus on. You know, I think. The biggest problem we have at this point isn't that these guys are doing it. It's that we don't have proper legislation that can expose it so clearly without us having, like right now, what are you having to do? You're having to try to find somebody who's going to talk about it or whatever. There's no way that you can go in and and actually look at the details that you're asking to look at because it's all controlled by these people. Mm
2: -hmm. I have a... I, you, we, we've submitted more uh, requests through Freedom of Information. Thankfully, yeah. that law hasn't been gutted yet, and we can still get material. But, but it, it, you know, we should be able to call up and say, you've got contracts for $900,000. What are these contracts for?
8: Yes, exactly. So I have a solution to this. Mm-hmm. I brought this up a little while ago, and it doesn't seem to get much traction, but I think it's an honorable and, and, and well-placed solution. You know, in the next election, uh, the Conservatives are looking for a way to really bring forward that that they're that they're an honest broker for for us, right? That's that's the claim that they're trying to make. Well, you know, I'm an honest broker too. I can I can uh, say things as well. But here's probably the main difference between me and the other guys at the moment, and that is if you ask me what I'm going to do, I'll put it in black and white and I'll I'll define. So I would suggest to the, to the conservatives, if they don't want to get nailed like they did with the Liberals this time, to actually bring the things that they say they're going to do in black and white. These are the bills that we're actually going to bring up to at least first reading, right? You know, and then we know the spirit of what they're going to do and the actual black and white words in which they're planning to do. This is not something like this item that we're talking about here. This is not an item that we need to have them in power first and then access all the, the, the legalese. This is something that they can actually put together, write it up as a bill, and put it forward during the election and say, this is what we're going to do. And if the Liberals want to trump that, they'll have to, they'll have to put something in black and white too. Uh,
2: but, you- but they have to poll us all first, Bill. They have to spend a lot of money polling the public to find out what we think so we can, they can tell us what to think.
8: Let's not talk about what they're going to do because all they are are political parties trying to get our vote. Let's talk about from voter to voter, you and I. Would you not want something like that in front of us during an election rather than them just saying we'll do something like this after the election? I would, I would vote for a party who had the guts enough to come forward with actual bills. I mean, we're only talking about four years. Where's your four-year plan for, for this province? And put it in bills. We would never hire somebody like this in this capacity. We would want them to put something in in writing, wouldn't
2: we? We would. Thanks for the call, Bill. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You have thoughts on the latest out of Queen's Park? Give us a call, 521-TALK. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
0: the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: Is it a case of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? Is this too insider, too comfy for your liking? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager getting the only contract given out for polling or research services by the cabinet office, that is essentially her office, in the last fiscal year just shy of $900,000 going to David Hurley, who, man, well, to the Gandalf Group. The principal person behind the Gandalf Group, David Hurley, on his own website, let me read to you how, they, how he describes it. He, quote, served as Premier Kathleen Wynne's campaign co-chair and steered the Ontario Liberals to a majority government in 2014. He then gets $900,000 for research services contracts from her office alone. I have asked what other contracts he's getting. I've asked what kind of, what he's doing the work for. And so far, nothing. I've also tried to to reach Gandalf Group and David Hurley, but no response. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Joyce in Cornwall. You're on Beyond the News.
9: Hi. Good morning, Brian. I'm a little nervous, so please bear with me. Of course. Um, I just wanted to say you're doing a fantastic job filling in for Rob, and really Thank enjoy you. your show. Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed what Guy had to say this morning, and also I, I just. Yeah, it's not fair what's going on. I mean, uh, Liberals helping out their buddies. I mean, I believe uh, Kathleen Wynn also helped out her brother-in-law with the uh, Orange uh, scandal.
2: I, d- I don't know all the ins and outs of Orange because it's tough to keep track of all of the, uh, the scandals, isn't it?
9: It is. It's very, and you know, like I, I, I was thinking of you, uh, Brian, because uh, the Premier was actually on Talk 1010, answering mm-hmm. questions. Okay. She was interviewed from your, you know, your sister station. Yep. And, when was that? Uh, she uh, that was uh believe it was on Friday.
2: Okay, that that would have been before this story was released.
9: Yeah, she had an answer for everything and you know, like, you know, circle around the answer, uh, type of she I'm I'm so upset with her because like nobody like she can't she gets away with everything like uh, that MP from Alberta. That called her out on 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 who she is and how you know how she operates, and she she gets you know like she cries out uh, sexism or yeah. Derek you know. Fildebrand
2: questioned her policies and she claims it's sexism and uh, he he gets uh, disciplined.
9: Yeah, I know it's it's maddening. Like, how can these people get away with what they're doing? It's maddening. But if if I may, can I make another uh I, I don't know if you were you at the uh, convention, I forget what it's called for that 150 years uh convention for the reporting? No. You weren't no. there. No,
2: are you talking about the press gallery dinner on yeah, the weekend? The press
9: gallery, yeah. I have
2: a perfect record for attendance there.
9: <laughs> yeah, I've was...
2: never been. You've ne- no. No. <laughs> no, That's I funny. uh I'm not saying I'll never go, because never say never, but I have never been so far.
9: No, eh? I was kind of hoping to see you there, but uh, I was a little disappointed with uh, Rhonda Ambrose's uh, shots to the to uh, former um, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. I thought that was, uh
2: Well, you know. what they do is they go in and make fun of each other. The last time Stephen Harper went in, he made fun of himself. He made fun of his party. He showed up with a... Uh, uh, a binder that said hidden agenda on the outside oh so it's part like, of you what know, they
9: he's do he's not a fan of humanity he does, just doesn't like people i this i thought that was kind of uh but that was just my, my <laughs> Stephen uh, harper would opinion. laugh at that he would laugh at that <laughs> he well, would you know him best than, than thank, i do thanks but for the call thank the you very choice. much brian Bye bye. all right
2: i'm brian lily this is beyond the news 521 talk 521-8255 star 580 on bell mobility back in moments
0: this is beyond the news with Brian Lilly follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa
2: give it to me, I'm
10: But Ipsos Reid did a survey, and now we know that that number has increased to 58%. Answer. So we understand that there actually has been an impact. That's the kind of uh, market research that Mr. So
2: keep, let, Let's keep listening in here. This Mr. is Speaker Kathleen Wynne in question period right now, answering questions no on the story we broke this morning.
3: Mr. Speaker, you know, Mr. Speaker, the Premier had, has no cabinet minister to blame for this. The Cabinet Office is under her direction. David Hurley is her precious friend. This was her decision to make. The Cabinet Office shouldn't be the personal piggy bank for the Premier's cronies, even if you call it a process. The Premier can't hide behind, this was was not an open and transparent process. According to Brian Lilly, senior Liberals who know how the Cabinet Office works disputed the idea this process was completely nonpartisan and not subject to the political direction directly from the Premier. So that means the premier directed nearly a million dollars to her friend. Look up at the parents today, Madame Premier. That money could have gone a long way Question. to help the children with autism. Mr. Speaker, this might just be the tip of the iceberg. Mr. Speaker, I repeat, how many other contracts like this are there? It Thank you. Thank you.
10: You isn't Please. Can you see it, please. Thank you premier much mr speaker governments do market research governments do market research to, do, do market to research. Uh, discover and uh, find the indications of the uh, impact of their you policies spend the mr money speaker too. Forum Research uh, has contracts across government, Mr. Speaker, of more than $2 million. Ipsos read of uh, nearly $2 million, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. Strategic Council, $373,000, uh, Mr. Speaker. ECOS Research, $172,000. Environics, $164,000. Harris Decima, $122,000, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. The fact is, governments of all stripes do do market research. Yeah. It's responsible research to do so. Then. Those decisions are made uh, in terms of uh, a process yeah. that is competitive, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. There have to be five vendors. A choice is made by public servants, Mr. Speaker. It's not a partisan process, and, Mr. Yes, Speaker, as I say, governments uh, across all political stripes yeah, do market
3: research. Mr. Speaker, again to the Premier, the government can heckle all they want, but I was disgusted when I heard the member from Mississauga-Streetsville heckle last week. And said Melanie Palapon should have answered the phone. To blame his slow motion apology. Let's
2: bring that down. That was question period at Queen's Park. Nice shout out from Patrick Brown there, eh? Kathleen Wynne is trying to defend her office only giving polling contracts to David Hurley and his Gandalf group by citing other polling done by various government departments subject to far stricter rules, I am told, by senior liberals than what uh, she and her cabinet office face. This is only going to get deeper. During the break, someone sent me a, another story showing that David Hurley's firm got $1.1 million dollars in contracts from cabinet sur- or from caucus services. This is the money that all the parties have available to spend how they see fit. David Hurley was the biggest winner of contracts from the Liberal Caucus Services, so $2 million so far and counting to the campaign manager of Kathleen Wynne. Does that smell funny to you? It's smelling even worse now. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Uh, let's sorry wrong line there. Uh, Roger in Drummond. You're on Beyond the News.
11: Uh, good morning, Brian. Yeah, that was kind of ruckus. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, talk about, and I heard even uh, <clears throat> on CFRA. You know, the opposition isn't doing enough to to, to bring out these uh, all these scandals. Well, I think. Uh, well, I mean, I know our our MPP Randy Hellyer, and I know a lot of the uh, the Ontario Conservatives. I met a lot of them. And I'll tell you right now, if you watch Question Period, they're working pretty damn hard. But, you know, the, fi- the thing I find uh, puzzling, and I wish there was some legislation they could enact maybe in the next election, is when, the, when, uh, when an MP or, uh, or a minister is asked a question, and, and a, a pretty uh, you know straightforward question, then they, there should be a, a, a rule in there that they have to answer it. Not this skirting around kind of crap,
2: you know. And you think Kathleen Wynne was skirting there?
11: Well... <laughs> <laughs> you know something, Brian? Like when I listen to Question Period, I, I, I listen to it every day, and I, uh, or even if I was doing some work, I have the radio on, and I heard Question Period the other day for federally. You know, and I mm-hmm. asked, uh, i can't remember that—the the woman who's in charge of Democratic Reform, but she was—Well, uh, Maria yeah, Maria Montef. She was asked that question uh, several times, and I thank God that uh, uh Ian Solomon had her on there later in the afternoon. He was able to get a little bit out of her. You know, but. This is the kind of thing I find really disgusting, and I I don't care if it goes around, this is what happens around the world, this is our country. I think maybe it's about time we have a little bit of different uh, type of government to represent the people because uh, I'm getting sick and tired of it, and everybody's getting sick and tired of listening to the question period when you get the same gosh-darn rhetoric. Another thing, one more thing, uh, Brian, when it comes to the OPP, I'm not targeting, I'm I'm not, uh, this is not a comment of frontline officers. I think they're doing a hell of a job in this province, but I wish that some of them would stand up to their own leadership and say, look, we have to do something to start cleaning up some of these investigations because we're losing the faith from the people, and this and it is a it is a threat to our democracy. When you have no seem to be no rule of law, is this a frontier? Uh, is this going to be the frontier justice pretty soon, where people are going to say we had enough and then start going out there and start to uh, take the law into their own hands because they got a pretty sad example with our political leadership, and then of course with our with our provincial police force, something. These investigations shouldn't have been going on as long as they Uh,
2: have. I've been losing faith in the OPP for a long time now, Roger, which is sad. I I, I now refer to them as the Ontario Political Police Force because I just don't trust them to follow through. On on the one that they did after being shamed publicly, this is the bribery up in Sudbury where the audio was released and it still took them forever to lay charges. They they stayed the charges. Well, the Crown stayed the charges and said, oh, we're we're not going to proceed. They only actually charged one of the three people that I think should have been charged in that.
11: Well, you know, Brian, when you're talking about, uh, I, I call them, uh, the. actually, after after last year's election there, and then when I seen that OPP uh, uh, advertisement there, well, uh, during the, the election there with the OPP cruiser, you know, basically a bit of a heavy-handed thing in my respect, and most people felt the same way. My, my, my new thing is for them, is it's been for a while since last year, is the Ontario political paychecks. Yeah, And sometimes I, I'd like to take my big red truck and then get a big uh, sign and and uh, make a nice sign and paint it nice on both sides so I can drive around the countryside to uh, liberal parts of Ontario and just let people see, you know. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it's to a point there, like, what's going to be left of this province? And then I look at what these... Uh, band of friggin' idiots are doing uh, federally, and uh, I have no faith in them. But what's going to be left of the country in four years?
2: One giant bill. That's about it. Thanks for the call, Roger. Thank you. Let's go to Gloria in Ottawa. Gloria, you're on Beyond the News.
12: Hi, Brian. Good morning. Listen, first I want to say thank goodness for you and the rebel media, you know, and, and the the media, the so-called media, I hate to even give them the, that uh, courtesy of of, of of giving them that name, but I, I blame them. For them, for this use, I have some adjectives. It's this useless, shameful media, and they have an off To me, they've got an obvious bias not to report any questionable actions by this left-wing government, and. There's absolutely no investigative reporting or questions asked. I mean they could take well, lessons I, I, from you
2: you know I I, I oh. there's not enough of it, but uh, as I said to Lowell earlier, thank goodness there's uh, Adrian Morrow guy I've never met, never spoken to mm-hmm. down there for the Globe and Mail he's dug up a lot of this. he's <clears> the <throat> one that figured out the the whole shadiness of their fundraising where oh. they were uh, essentially, you know, big, big fundraisers with people they were regulating. Mm-hmm. He is the one that wrote the story I was reading to you moments ago, that in addition to the 900000 that I found at the co- the cabinet office, mm-hmm. he was getting $1.1 $1. 1 from caucus services. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, I'm told.
8: Yeah. So $2
2: million that Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager has been able to get from politically connected offices, just two of them. Oh, and there's more, yeah. And you know, is is this what you go into politics for?
12: Well, yes. It's it's just it's just greasing palms behind our backs. And the thing is, uh, to me, the left wing media, the, okay, I'll put this in quotations. They're aiding and abetting this this. Unaccountable left-wing part, a liberal party to continue their corrupt, questionable actions. And the thing is, when we have when you know, our our this is she should be proud of. She shouldn't even be showing her face in public. She she is the the most corrupt premier in Canada. With, I mean, what about the five police investigations? And after what after four years of so-called investigations by this to, so-called Toronto police. Has, there's been little action or investigations or any updates or information from them. And the, the, the uh, uh, political parties, the opposition, they have to be after this government and the police department and, and not just ask once in a while a question, they've got to demand answers for their investigations. The Liberal Party should not be un- untouchable, but this is what's happening here. It's uh, it- its really shameful, and they're just spending well, I, willy-nilly taxpayers' I, I, money.
2: I think the uh, i think the people of the province are waking up, Gloria, because... Well,
12: let's hope so. I'm sorry for yelling.
2: <laughs> no, no, that's, that's what we're here for. Oh. Uh, if you look at where the polls are going, Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals are dropping and people are starting to look at Patrick Brown. Thanks for the call, well, Gloria. Thank you. Bye-bye. 521-TALK, 521 star 580, if you want to join the conversation. Beyond the News at CFRA.com. If you want to send an email, I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments.
0: is beyond the news with brian Lilly. get some facetime with brian join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580 cfra
2: i've had a couple people email me about the issue of oh canada and Maril belanger's bill to change the lyrics you will note that it is only the english lyrics that francophone marille belanger wants to change he's always been very proud about being a Franco-Ontarian and representing a very French-heavy area, but he wants to change the English lyrics. No one's talking about changing the French. I'll get into what the French lyrics actually say. A lot of Canadians don't realize what the French lyrics mean. But just a little while ago, we brought part of Question Period from Queen's Park to you, and I want to go back and play the beginning that you didn't hear of... Patrick Brown asking Premier Kathleen Wynne about the story that I broke this morning. Almost $900,000 of contracts going to her campaign manager from her office. Here's Brown in the legislature less than half an hour ago.
3: Mr. Speaker, my question is for the Premier. Not much this government does surprises me anymore. But when I learned that reporter Brian Lilly had... Uh, an FOI that showed the Premier handed out two contracts worth nearly $1 million to David Hurley and his company, the Gandalf Group, I was shocked. Let's not be mistaken, this is the same David Hurley who co-chaired the Premier's election campaign. And that is the same Gandalf Group that is the Liberals' personal and preferred Polling company. David Hurley is being rewarded for his political work with nearly a million dollars of taxpayers' money. Mr. Speaker, does the Premier have an ounce of ethics left? Does the Premier think it is acceptable to hand out a million dollars worth of contracts to her Liberal pals and cronies? Does the Premier think that's acceptable?
8: Thank you. Premier
10: very much Mr. Speaker and um, the member opposite will know that that, uh, market research and polling uh, companies have been been used by governments traditionally Mr. Speaker. In fact fact, there are um, at least six other uh, companies Mr. Speaker that have uh, contracts, Forum Research, Ipsos Read, Strategic Council, Ecos Research, Environics, Harris Decima all have contracts with government Mr. Speaker. All of that market research the public opinion research conducted by the government is procured through a fair and transparent, Border, competitive process. Every company has to be qualified, Border, has to be a vendor of record, Mr. Speaker, and has to compete for a project with no fewer than five competitors. And then the final decision about who, which vendor, is best suited for a project is made by a yes, committee sir. of at least three non-partisan public servants. That's the process that uh, all companies undergo.
2: All right, there is the opening question. We might get to more of that in a little while. That was a question period at Queen's Park this morning. Uh, Nice shout-out again from Patrick Brown. But what senior liberals who have experience with the Premier's office tell me is that what Kathleen Wynne just said about polling and this going through the, the transparent system, not the case. We'll continue to push, wait and see on this. But well, also, I think we deserve to know what, the, what we got for the $900,000. What, what did the premier's office need to know? She keeps citing these other polls, these other firms. None of them were contracts given through the premier's office. Only one company got a contract through the premier's office. David Hurley, $900,000. $1.1 million to that same firm from Liberal Caucus Services. It's looking a little cozy. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, Five two one eight two five five. if you want to join the conversation.
0: There must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
3: Mr. Speaker, again to the Premier. The Liberals and this Premier will do absolutely anything to hold on to power. The only thing the Liberals care about is their own political survival. The FOI showed that there was one contract, one contract that towered above all others. That was the contract to David Hurley and the Gandalf Group. This wasn't a normal government tender. The money came directly from the Cabinet Office, essentially the Premier's personal slush fund. Mr. Speaker, this information was was only revealed because of an FOI order. I shouldn't have to ask, but I will. How many other of these contracts are there? How many more contracts is the Premier hiding? Can the Premier tell this legislature how many contracts her government g- and all the ministries have they given to David Hurley? Thank
8: you.
10: Premier Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And as I said, there uh, there is a process uh, whereby any polling or marketing research is uh, is procured, Mr. Speaker. Um, all governments, including former NDP and PC governments, have uh, conducted market research, Mr. Speaker. And it's market research that allows us, for example, to understand the impact of uh, of a campaign like the Who Will You Help campaign, Order. Mr. Speaker, the uh, <laughs> the ad campaign that <laughs> is dimmed to marginally change. Oh,
2: I can't take that anymore.
10: Sexual assault.
2: Really? She wants to point to the other polling firms. That, of course, was Patrick Brown questioning uh, Premier Wynne about these big contracts going to her campaign manager, and she tries pointing to other polling firms. But no other polling firm got contracts from her office. Only David Hurley and the Gandalf Group. Almost $900,000. As reported by Adrian Morrow in the Globe and Mail, Last fall, 1.1 million from caucus services. That is just about two million dollars of taxpayers' money being funneled into her campaign manager's firm. I just think that that looks suspect. I'm not saying, hey, look, if you are a volunteer or involved in a campaign, you cannot get anything. You 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 can't bid on government contracts. But I'm just saying that it looks a little suspect. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on bell mobility. Ken in Prescott, you're on Beyond the News.
1: And, uh, this is gonna keep going on until and I've been saying it for years until somebody goes to jail.
2: Well, I I don't know that anyone has to go to jail on on this front. No, but... I'm not sure that anything illegal happened. I just... Well, maybe they broke rules, and we don't know. We're trying to find out. I've just sent another series of questions to the Premier's office. We'll see.
1: No, this isn't just this one. It's all the four, four things that are going on, investigations in Ontario. The problem right now is they should bring in a bill that no... No premier or prime minister can put in the head of of the RCMP or of the uh, OPP. Well, who, who else is going on, to appoint, appoint them? Yeah, they can't appoint them. They must be appointed by the by the men and women in the RCMP who oh, no. they want their head. no!
2: No 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 no! That's well, a, that's a very bad idea, Ken.
1: You're going to get the same stuff going on and on and on until. Because then they run ahead head of the OPP.
2: Well, the, the police have to be accountable to elected officials.
1: Well, then the elected officials should be by their own people.
2: Well, what, what should happen, and this is how they deal with uh, police investigations. When police are under investigation in Quebec, a different police force comes in to investigate. And I've seen police officers charged through this system. It's not the shadowy SIU. It's if the Montreal police are involved in something and it looks like it should be uh, checked out for criminal charges, well, maybe the police from Laval or Quebec City or the, the SQ come in. They conduct the investigation.
1: Well, the same thing happened when Christian Christian was in there with the head of the uh, Mounties when, 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 when they had that uh, golf course scandal. Did you remember that yep yeah
2: well, well there the, you go. The, 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 the liberals will cl- the liberals will claim that it was um that it was the mounties that did the men uh over the the leak about income trust in that investigation um I, I I don't think that word of an investigation is enough to skewer a political party otherwise Kathleen Wynne would not be premier right now
1: yeah because Kathleen... they've
2: had plenty of investigations going on there.
1: She's the one that's keeping the uh, OPP quiet from doing all this stuff. It's got to be that because how long has it been? And nothing's been done about it. Nothing.
2: Hey, look, they had audio of uh, Wynn's deputy uh, chief of staff and a local organizer saying, I come on behalf of the premier and we want to offer you something if you will step down. How that did not constitute breaking the law, I don't know. Well, but it took the OPP months to lay charges, and then the Crown stayed the charges, and now nothing's happening.
1: Well, there you go, eh?
2: Thanks for the call, Ken. Thank you, bye. 521-TALK, five two one eight two five five star 580 if you want to join the conversation. Anne had written in uh, on email about the French lyrics to O Canada and the National Anthem. She said, One question no one seems to be asking regarding changing the wording to yet another part of our history and culture is, what about the French version? Why is it not being looked at when the English version is being criticized and picked apart? Last time I checked, man has always referred to us as a species, not a gender, when the the lyrics was written. Well, that's a good point, Anne, but even the... Even that, the social justice warriors are trying to expunge from our language. There are certain things that we use the pronoun he or she for, and I guess you can still use she, but you're not supposed to use he in a general sense anymore. That's sexist. That's wrong. It's a bit like the fact that you can have a women's-only gym, but not a men's-only gym, I suppose. But let me turn to the French lyrics for a minute. I'm not sure if a lot of people realize how religious the French lyrics are. Jason Kenney once said to me, it's essentially a Catholic hymn for our national anthem in French. So this is the translation. I won't uh, won't sing it to you. I'm not going to torture you. And I'm not going to torture you with my French pronunciation. But the direct translation of the French lyrics to O Canada go like this. O Canada, land of our forefathers, thy brow is wreathed with the glorious garland of flowers. As is thy arm ready to wield the sword, so also is it ready to carry the cross. Thy history is an epic of the most brilliant exploits. Thy valor steeped in faith will protect our homes and our rights, will protect our homes and our rights. Let's see, we've got a weapon in there, a sword. We've got the cross. We've got valor and faith. Aren't these all offensive words to social justice warriors now? And the, to say that valor steeped in faith will protect our homes and our rights? I'm amazed that the left isn't apoplectic about the French version. Forget about taking out in all thy sons' command. What about the the mention of the cross? As is thy arm ready to wield the sword, so also is it ready to carry the cross. Thy history is an epic of the most brilliant exploits. Thy valor steeped in faith will protect our homes and rights. How many of you actually knew that those were the English words, or sorry, the French words to O Canada? You kind of half mumble it when you're at the hockey game and you're doing the... uh, you're doing the bilingual version, but I'm not sure an awful lot of people knew. No, I mean I always seem to surprise people when I, I raise the issue of the, uh, the cross and faith being in our, in our national anthem, but there it is. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Final thoughts on this uh, corruption topic. Patrick Brown, though, will join us at 1:15 later today. And still trying to get in touch with Andrea Horvath. I believe she's still in the legislature right now. But we are trying to get the NDP's point of view on this as well. And uh, coming up at just after 1 o'clock, Spider Jones, who used to spar with Muhammad Ali, will join us. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
0: Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: It's going to be hard for other media to ignore this story now. Um, I'm sure some will try, some will pick up on it. It's This is a legit story about Kathleen Wynne and David Hurley. They can't sneer at it no matter what they want to do. But I want you to do this. If if you're bothered by this, then please go to my Facebook page. It's Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Find the story about Wins campaign manager, David Hurley, and hit share. Don't hit like. Hit share. That way, your friends and family, your contacts are going to see this and make sure it spreads. On Facebook right now, Cynthia Writes in the comments, the Ontario Liberal government, under the leadership of Kathleen Wynne, is as corrupt as you will ever find in Canada. With little opposition or transparency, they can do as they please, ever-increasing taxes and spending millions to ensure she can do it for years to come. Shameful. Well, I thought some pretty effective opposition from from Patrick Brown this morning. I didn't get a chance to hear whether uh, Andrea Horvath raised this issue in question period. We'll find that out later on. uh Rudolph wrote, you gotta love the liberals. Money's no object. The economy will take care of itself. Too much of that wacky weed floating around. And Doug wrote, where are the outraged media? If it was about conservative, all hell would break loose. Yet let's play that game for just a minute. Imagine Stephen Harper hired his campaign manager and gave him $900,000 in polling contracts. The lunacy. Dave in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News.
13: Hi, Brian. First of all, I think uh, you're doing a great job on the uh, on the show. Thank you. And the, and the other stuff that you do. Um, just a quick comment. I agree with a lot of what uh, people have been saying this morning about the corruption and the, maybe even the nepotism and whether it's illegal or not, I don't know. But my comment is that I think the opposition, the conservatives, are doing a terrible job in opposition and have done since McGuinty got in. Uh, a real... Good opposition was when Mulroney got elected and they had the Rat Pack going after him every day. That was opposition. That's what we need. We need Lisa McLeod and Patrick Brown and McNaughton and all the rest of them going after these people steady every day.
2: Did you hear my uh, my conversation with Warren Kinsella last week, trying to bring Warren in on Wednesdays?
13: No, I didn't hear it, That so, one, sorry. Uh,
2: Warren gave, and this was to the federal conservatives, he said ten, 10 pieces of advice for the uh, the conservatives that they probably yeah. won't take. And it was in his column last week. Yeah. And he mentioned that you've got to oppose, oppose, oppose. And too often he says conservatives end up worried that I can't be seen as being too negative. So I, I, I want to play nice. They don't want to be seen as always criticizing the government. He says Jean Chrétien used to tell them that's your job. Your job yeah. is not to play nice with the government. Your job is to oppose. Yeah. I, I, I would say having watched Question Period uh, fairly uh, – well, I'm starting to at Queen's Park, and it's a, just a very different experience than what we have in Ottawa.
13: I'm sure it's a mind-bender.
2: Uh, Patrick Brown and the Conservatives are starting to pick up the game, and that's a good thing.
13: Well, it's about time somebody picked up the game because these guys have been uh, corrupt – and as uh, one of your early callers said, like $900,000 is really a drop in the bucket when you look well, at the gas plant scandals and the helicopter.
7: And well, the,
2: let, let, let's just focus in on this one guy today, $900,000 from the Cabinet Office, $1.1 $1. 1 from Caucus Services, and we haven't heard back from the other departments that we are told he has contracts with. And it, you can't tell me that this is all happening just due to a uh, competitive meet- bidding process.
13: I remember when the media took a hairy fit when uh, one of the conservatives' ministers ordered a glass of orange juice for fifteen bucks. Yep. Now we're talking about nine hundred thousand, but that's all part I, of the game, I guess.
2: I can tell you, every time I get offered orange juice if I'm eating breakfast at a hotel <laughs> when I'm traveling, Dave, <laughs> I get worried because do you know how that happened for Bevoda? I oh, don't well, think she looked at the menu. I think she sat down and you know you get a, they they come over to you and listen, they say, "Do you I'm want a r- coffee?" I'm do
1: not a rich
13: person. And even I've ordered room service once in a while.
2: But but they just say, do you want coffee and orange juice? And you're like, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll have or that. And then you get the bill. I remember once getting a coffee bill for $18.
13: But you see how good they are in opposition, in the Liberals and, and the media, and how poor the other than well, Sun News and yourself and a few
2: others. $250,000 on furniture is nothing, apparently. Got to run, Dave. Thanks. Okay. David in Ottawa South, you're uh, on Beyond the News
5: yeah um how I answered the first David when I thought it was me anyway um there's <laughs> a lot of david's there are um it just seems that spending our money means nothing to them again, it's the furniture uh what are we gonna do with the uh the the electricity they're gonna you to say we'll get them out at the next election well, that's two and a half years. how many more twenty year uh windmill and such contracts are going to be issued that we're locked into before we get a chance to knock those guys down. Uh, I, I fear for the, 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 our fiscal uh, condition, and we're going to be bankrupt. We're going to be painted in the nose. We're, we're going to be another grease Greece. We're, we're a basket case. We're,
2: well, I it, don't know. It's um, unfortunate that we didn't take the opportunity that we had in June of 2014, but the wisdom of the, uh, the Ontario taxpayers was – we wanted more of this, so we're getting more of it. Uh, m- maybe it's what it took to uh, for everyone to wake up.
5: Yeah, and then they turned around and did the same to bring Trudeau in. Uh, you know, I've I've given up on the on, on the, the wisdom of people. That I don't know.
2: Don't well, don't give up yet, David, because it's. Uh, uh, the polls are starting to show. Things are turning in Ontario.
5: We had to get them both in Ontario and in, in, uh, in, uh, in Ottawa out as, as soon as we can the next election. Never mind giving Trudeau another pass at it. Uh, we know what he's doing. He's trying to ram through anything he does. He's trying to undo anything Harper did just because Harper did it, good, bad, or indifferent.
2: And, and he can't even get his own assisted dying bill passed in time. Thanks oh. for the call, David. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, back after this.
0: To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Nikki Ashton in the House of Commons today. Well, at least her seat to see if she's taking it. I don't know if you've seen this story. It's up at Post Media right now. Nikki Ashton tweeted out yesterday about how she was off to North Dakota to campaign for Bernie Sanders. We feel the burn. Bernie bust to... I don't even know what some of these things she's added in there are. Uh, Ashton was questioned about this. Uh, you know, the House of Commons is still sitting. Why is she down in the U.S. campaigning for Bernie Sanders? She said, thanks for your concern, but the House doesn't, cam- uh, doesn't sit on Sundays. Will she be back in the house? If not, I think there's going to be a lot of questions. Uh, David Aiken uh, regularly sits up in the press gallery during QP. David joins me on the line now to talk about something else. But David, I have to ask you: Are you going to um, are you going to be sitting up there looking at Nikki Ashton's seat today?
14: Well, this is another good reason, I guess, to go to QP on a Monday. Um, it, but the other one being is the prime minister be there, and as you know, Brian, typically both the current PM and the last one, Harper. You know, they often miss the Monday session. But but Trudeau's going to be there, and now there's another reason to uh, to go and hang out in the gallery to see if uh, Nicky Ashton will be yeah, there.
2: They actually put out a news release that the prime minister was going to be at question period today, and some people might think that odd.
14: Well, it, that, it, it, you know what, and, and I do have to applaud this, the new Trudeau PMO, is they're putting out a press release pretty much every morning at 7 with the PM's itinerary. Now, it's a little vague sometimes. I,
2: I actually think it's stupid.
14: I know and there's reasons in, in the, to make it's stupid because like yesterday private appointments Saturday private appointments and that does cost money when you use a press release service but well, they
2: they use you know. market wired, which is a a a private service, so it does cost money and what the old regime did was if something was happening, they put out a press release and said, here's the prime minister's itinerary for the day. If nothing was happening or there was no public event, they didn't say anything. So you assume private meetings.
14: Yeah. So I'm a little more, It was a little too close to the vest with the last gang. For example, I did like to know when cabinet was meeting. And you'll see that with Trudeau's itinerary. And we kind of all knew they meet every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, the last gang did and the current gang did. But nonetheless, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to... We shouldn't be in the business of criticizing any politician for putting out a little more information about what they're doing. I'd actually kind of like to see even more information. And the standard I use is like the kind of stuff that comes out from, let's say, the U.S. Secretary of State. Because I follow John Kerry's stuff. I'm interested in U.S. foreign affairs. It's important to Canada, and it is unbelievably detailed. For all the closed meetings, I'm meeting with this official, that official, this CEO. I like that kind of. Disclosure and transparency from our elected officials. Of course, in Kerry's case, he's not even elected, but nonetheless, does it uh, anyhow? Mm-hmm. So more yeah, is better. Know, I'm going to go more with better. I,
2: I, I, I would go for more, except I don't actually see a big change from uh,
0: from the last one. I well, just, it's,
14: just it's, it's sort of a, they're going through the motions. The Trudeau gang is with the motions, like and a one line itinerary saying I'll be a question period. Okay, um, doing anything else today? You know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Who Who were you meeting with?
14: Yeah, you got anything else on the go? Uh, kind of curious, you know.
2: I don't think we need to know everything. But anyway, that's uh, David Aiken from Sun Media. Uh, and, of course, Wednesday mornings you get to hear him with Bill Carroll, that guy that uh, that sits in this chair in the mornings. Um, but, uh, David, wanted to talk to you because of this post-media story. Your colleagues over at uh, Nap Post, where you used to work as well, mm-hmm. having uh, getting word that the Liberals are still not ruling out the F-35 but may – buy another jet as a stopgap measure? And my head's spinning a little bit here. Why would you buy the, the Super Hornet as a stopgap measure if you might still buy the F-35 years down the road?
14: Yeah, I mean, those are all the why questions. But to be honest, I'm not surprised to hear that, this is my friends Lee Berthium and John Iveson, who are sort of uh, sourced this out from, I'm talking to a bunch of people. Um, a couple of things, just so people you know in the, in the loop know. The F-35 is the fifth generation, stealth fighter, single engine, that a lot of our allies are using already and then we're talking from Denmark to Australia to of course the United States. A lot of our NATO allies are using this and, and it offers the big thing here is it offers stealth capability. So the idea is you can sneak up on your opponent before they see you. You get the first shot in at an aerial dogfight. That's a huge advantage if you're shooting first. So that's the F thirty five. Problem is lots of technical hiccups trying to develop that thing. It's also become ridiculously expensive. And that's got a lot of people pausing, including the liberals. And they ran on a platform which said very specifically, we're not buying this. Then they get into government, and then we hear sort of a little, sort of maybe walking it back from the defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, where not ruling it out. Uh, So, you know, we'd still like a little more clarity on them. In the meantime, we got, as you know, these CF-18s, wonderful machines that our pilots have been flying for, what, 20, 30 years or something like that right now. They've been doing yeoman service in Libya, Uh, recently fighting uh, the ISIS terrorists, dropping bombs and doing good work for uh, democracy, etc. But they're coming to the end of their life. And though we do have uh, programs in place to build some new engines and refit the the electronics on board, at some point the airframe just says, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And we we might hit this gap where we we will have not enough fighter jets to meet our NATO and North American defense equipment while we wait for whatever, F-35s or something, and the Super Hornet is a two-engine plane that a lot of our allies already use. That can kind of be that four and a half generation plane. That's a bit of a stopgap. So, it, to be honest, it doesn't make it doesn't surprise me a whole lot because we've been taking so long to get make some decisions about what will be the permanent sort of next platform. Will it be the F thirty five or
2: or what? If memory serves, we've been part of the F thirty five process since Jean Kretchen was oh, yeah. in power. Yeah, it was Kretchen that said all right, let's get together with our allies and we will develop a joint strike fighter jet and we will develop it together along with the Australians and the Americans. They said, all right, send us your best uh, designs. They did. The F-35 was picked and it's been just back and forth. At a certain point, we're going to be spending more than we should if we had just bought the F-35. If we're buying a bunch of these, what? how many CF-18s did we originally have, 120 or some odd? Yeah, now, like that
14: we're down to like under 60 I think now.
2: Or I think j- between 60 and 70 we're at. There we go, okay. So sure. even just replacing those with the Super Hornets, uh, are we going to replace all of them? Or are we going to replace half of them and then consider the F-35 or another similar type fighter down the road?
14: Well, and, and, you know, these are all really appropriate questions, Brian. I mean, it's a good point. When We want to protect the public purse. We want to make sure that we're able to fulfill our defense requirements. And we don't know. And my sense just looking at, at defense policy overall from the current Trudeau government is they're not that keen on it. It's not a big deal for them. Other things are bigger deals. Climate change, for example,
7: moving and doing a
14: lot of talking about that. But on defense, they're really hoping you and I don't pay attention to it. Just they don't want any problems on it. They've committed to maintaining the previous conservative government's sort of spending plans over the years, which were see us spending not as much as we should. We got to be fair about that. The conservatives were sort of going to let it slide a little bit too, and, and so the liberals are happy to just let it slide even further. We're in the middle of a defense policy review under Defense, defense Minister Sajjan. He's really not got much to say. If, if you ask him, well, should we be doing this or doing that? He say, well, we've got a review. We'll, we'll tell you at Christmas, and then we'll maybe do something. So all those questions they're important questions to ask and the timeline for getting fighter jets ordered uh no matter what we do it's such a long one i'm really not sure we can wait for defense but yet another defense policy review yet another procurement setup bid you know it's um well i mean this an
2: it, it has the 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 possibility of becoming like the sea kings where you know pilots and ground crew start making jokes about going up in these things
14: yeah, I mean the good news is right, we're not having that with our CF18s. The problem is literally the ones that are flying are perfectly suitable to the missions we're uh, we're sending them on. It's just as they say at the at some point the airframes you know they they battle right. the airframes just sort of um, uh, rattle around and you can't fly them anymore. So it's it's not knock on wood uh, as bad as that, but there will come a point where you know we'll need at least a couple or a few squadrons. I mean, yes about the numbers, do we buy you know twenty eighteen you know. No one's really quite sure. But the other thing that's weird about this, you probably talked to some former fighter jocks. There's a, there's a couple of uh, people, there's a former CF-18 pilot who chairs the Defense Committee, a guy named Stephen Fuhrer. He's the liberal MP from Kelowna. He's a former CF-18 jock. Um, so he has some ideas about airframes, and you know, he's not making them known at this point in time appropriately. But you talk to fighter jocks, and they say, you get, you get a range of opinions. A lot of them like the f 35 Our friend, Laurie Hahn, used to be the conservative MP from Edmonton.
2: He helped bring in the CF-18 back in the 80s.
14: Exactly. He he rose to the rank of colonel in the Air Force and was a a fighter pilot. He he loves the the idea of the F-35. He thinks it would be a great platform. But you talk to others who say, you know, listen, you know what's really important in a dogfight? You want to be able to climb faster than the other guy. You want to be able to go faster, turn quicker, and take a hit. And the knock on the F-35 is, okay, it's stealthy, but once you're seen it doesn't go as fast as the other guy, it doesn't climb as fast, it doesn't turn, and there's suggestions it has trouble taking a hit. That's the knock on the F-35. The Hornet, the Super Hornet, on the other hand, it's super fast. Uh, It turns on a dime. It's got two engines. It can take a hit. And so you'll hear some people say, I'd rather be in, some fighter jocks say, I'd rather be in the Hornet than be in the F-35. Stealth doesn't mean invisible. It just means you can sneak up, perhaps, on somebody. But it doesn't mean invisible, and I think a lot of times, you know, we all think that we're just, you know, putting somebody in like, you know, um, uh, Wonder Woman's invisible plane or something like that. No, no, not really. Uh,
2: OK. Uh, and last point, David, uh, I think it, it seems like the liberals have figured out that we pretty much have to be buying an American made jet. That the idea that we would buy a Eurofighter or something made out of Sweden or Russia or even China, all of these ideas have been floated. Um, that's just a nonstarter. I don't, non-starter. I, don't I, I think.
14: Yeah, I mean maybe the the uh you know the Eurofighter which has more of our NATO allies involved in the production and technically all those other jets are still on the table, but I think at the end of the process that people go through is um you know we, you know it's it's going to be something likely made in the USA um is what we end up with. And sim- off the shelf sim-
2: simply because we are so uh, integrated with We're the. We're so tight in
14: between NORAD, North American Defense, and NATO. I mean, that just seems to make the most sense, but I'm a layman, you're a layman, but this is what the experts tell both of us, right?
2: All right, David, thanks for uh, taking the time out.
14: No problem. Cheers, Brian.
2: You can read David Aiken in Sun Media newspapers across the country. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Dean Brown standing by. What's the latest on the NHL playoffs? Spider Jones, top of the next hour on his friendship with Muhammad Ali. And Patrick Brown will call in at 115. Make sure you don't miss that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: I missed it last week in the middle of Food Aid Day, but I'm glad to see that the Globe and Mail's editorial board has come out in favour of the only position that I think makes sense on the issue of changing our voting system, and that is quite simply that the voters need to have a say. Their editorial last week while we were off raising money for uh, for Food Aid Day came out saying Canadians must get a vote on changing the vote. When a federal cabinet minister stick-handling an Epocal change through Parliament promises that the government will not move forward without the consent of Canadians. What exactly does that mean? Democratic Institutions Minister Maryam Monsef made a vow in Thursday's question period. She has a job of keeping her party's campaign promise that 2015 will be the last federal election conducted under the first-past-the-post system. She has also repeatedly been made to look foolish in the House of Commons by insisting that consent and consultation cannot include consulting Canadians by means of a referendum. At times, she suggested there are more legitimate ways to consult Canadians uh, than through voting. It's a weird argument for someone trying to sell the need for democratic reform. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think you do as well. The minister, the editorial goes on, the minister now says her government will table legislation after an examination of the issue by an all-party committee and in a surprise and welcome change of plans, the committee will not have a liberal majority. I still don't think that she's ready, though, to say that they will have a a referendum. I think we need to keep up the pressure on that. Now, the reason I came across the Globe editorial was I wanted to, um, to read off a story uh, that has me shaking my head. China's ambassador published an op-ed on the weekend urging Canadians not to be blinded by their differences with his country over human rights and missed the opportunity to achieve what he calls a golden era in bilateral relations, including a possible free trade deal. In an opinion piece published on the Globe and Mail's website Sunday, Ambassador Liu Jiwei touted last week's visit to Ottawa of Foreign Minister Wang Yi as an important step in boosting mutually beneficial relations. Mr. Wang sparked controversy during a press conference when he lashed out at a reporter for questioning the country's human rights record. The Globe also reported that the Chinese had earlier demanded a visit with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, which it eventually received in a display of a more aggressive diplomatic posture internationally. The ambassador said China is willing to discuss human rights with Canada or any other government, but decried microphone diplomacy. He said it will only serve to mislead the public, adversely affect cooperation and harm both sides' interests. So, basically saying, don't dare question us. Let me read one final quote. Given the differences between China and Canada in history, culture, and political system, it's only natural that the two countries may have different views on human rights. Yes, as in, we respect them, and you don't. There's an awful lot of Canadians knocking down the door to go to China and do business, but there's not an awful lot of Canadians knocking down the door to go and live in China, just because they want a better life. That's happening in reverse. People are leaving China to come here so that they can have a better life. Why? Because we respect the rule of law. We respect human rights. We have a business climate that is not built upon uh, corporate espionage. I think this ambassador should be studying the Canadian system and trying to figure out how he can bring it to his own country. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, Dean Brown stopping by, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. And as I keep reminding you, top of the next hour, let's uh, let's check in with Spider Jones on his friendship with Muhammad Ali. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580
0: CFRA. Insurgent? Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. On to the
15: right point, Lovejoy shoots it through the net, and then it goes. The Penguins have scored. I don't know if it's deflected or not. Ben Lovejoy. Oh, giving chase, can't come up with it. The Sharks do. Center point. LeBron, shot, score, ties again. Here's Crosby trying to turn and shoot, it could It comes free to Lovejoy, shooting and score. The center pass. comes LaTang. Right side to Crosby. Trying to go back to LaTang. Intercepted by the Sharks, and here they are. Coming right back into the pins in. long blast, star. Joel Ward, through the pads of Matt Murray,
16: and we're tied at two. Wilson put a check in on Ian Cole. Somebody's lost the glove, it goes around
15: far wing of the Penguins' went on, and Turney, Looking for someone, he's got good on Skoy, turning to shoot and star. Don Skoy wins it for the Sharks in overtime!
1: Came from behind the net! San Jose
2: gets his first win in this series. First win for San Jose tonight. Game four. Dean Brown joins me now to talk about all things hockey. Dean, before we get to that, mm-hmm. i got to say, I, I've i been able to go out and cover events, at, uh, including hockey games, out at the um, Canadian Tire Centre, although it might have been under different names when I did it. but. hmm Doors open Ottawa this weekend, got a chance to tour the redesigned Lansdowne. got beyond what I saw on the media tour when they first unveiled it. We got some nice, nice sporting facilities in this town.
16: Yeah, no, we do. Uh, actually, since, uh, you're right, since uh, OSEG redeveloped that whole area down there, it really is a fantastic place, and not just for sports, you know, with all the restaurants and everything else going on. It's a it's a fabulous gathering place in the middle of our city, and, uh, I think you can you can say that uh, you know when the when the movement goes ahead to actually build the new rink downtown on LeBreton Flats, uh, the great the great look that uh, that Lansdowne gives our city now, and the great services that it gives our city, you can multiply that by two or three what the development down at uh, at uh, LeBreton Flats is going to be. So yeah, we're 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 very fortunate.
2: It's very. Uh, I've been in a number of press boxes. Uh, the one down at Lansdowne now but was never in the old one very good very well designed uh great views even if you're not one of the main broadcasters if you're just there as a you know a, a visiting uh out of town media type a freelancer what have you you're still going to get a good view um mm-hmm. compare that to say the bell center where uh I, got, I i watched a bon jovi concert from the bell center's uh, press box one time mm-hmm. that thing is like a floating gondola in the ceiling where you have to walk across catwalks and uh uh to get to it I think between CTC and and Lansdowne, it's a far superior experience.
16: Well, I guess it all depends on what you're doing. If you're, uh, you know, if you're edgy about catwalks, then you wouldn't like it. To be honest with you, Montreal for us broadcasters doing hockey. You know, I've never broadcast a concert, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, bon Jovi
2: takes the yeah. puck.
16: Yeah, exactly. But for uh, for doing hockey, to be honest with you, Montreal is the best in the league for what for our business for oh, really? As far as yeah, oh, yeah, as far as fight, sight lines going, proximity to the ice, and being able to spot players, and it's uh, the design of Montreal is the best. And, and the problem is that you can't really recreate that in most of the new buildings because Montreal had a very different footprint to build that building. They had to build up, and because they couldn't build out, and so that the hanging, the suspended gondolas was the only way to go. Uh, in if you look at CTC, which is like most of the buildings in the league now, it spans back because there's a larger footprint and it's easier and more affordable to put the press box in the yep. upper row. And so well, it's, it's just a, I, it's just a construction thing. But I, as far as as far as our job goes, the gondola of Montreal is probably the best place to do a game in the league.
2: Well, let me tell you, you don't want to walk into uh, that gondola across the catwalks while the uh, Bon Jovi's rocking out and the lights are going. You end up with vertigo and falling off. I was walking along, holding on for dear life. Wow. Very different. But, as you say, different experiences. So, 3-2. 3-2 sure. three, three, two. Three, two on Saturday night, uh, a game of overtime and a game of home ice wins.
16: Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I'm I'm not so sure that uh, this series, when they look at this thing, is going to go down as the the series that everybody talks about uh, who had home ice. I think it's probably, it may end up being the series, Brian, where everybody talks about where were the stars, you know, because if you if you look at this series right now, and you, for example, look at Pittsburgh, um, Sherry, Lovejoy, Benino, Mata, they all have as many points in this series as Latang and, and Crosby do. You know, and if you if you look at, at if you look at San Jose, uh, Donskoy leads the team in points, not Thornton or Couture or Burns or, or Marlo, Uh, You know, uh, Braun and Ward have as many points right now for for San Jose as Thornton and Couture do. So if you look at points and shots. You know, this has not been a, a fantastic series for either team's big players. You know, Joe Thornton has two points in three games, and Marlow has one point in three games, and Pavelski has no points in three games, and Couture has two, uh, you know, and, and Crosby's about the same. Crosby has two points, Malkin has none, Kessel has a goal, you know, Latang has two points. So the, the stars in this series have not taken over this series on either side, and maybe that's one of the reasons why every game in this series so far has been a one-goal game.
2: Yeah, all very tight. Now, with the um, with the the game on Saturday night, it ended up being mistakes that led to the overtime that led mm-hmm. to San Jose winning. And Chris Latang having a a bad rush, and then Matt Murray just not getting the uh, not blocking the shot that he should have.
16: Yeah, and you know what if you look at if you look at the Stanley Cup final or almost any sport, it's it's it actually is rarely rarely is it fantastic plays that win games or change games it's usually mistakes that's just that's just kind of the nature of the beast you know, you have players playing at a very high level, fatigue comes into it, injuries come into it, and just the, the stress of playing at that level, and oftentimes it is going to be a mistake that decides the game. That's, that's, that's one of the great entertainment. It certainly isn't great for the athletes, but that's one of the great entertaining parts for all of us who love sports is that it's, it's very, very hard to predict something sometimes because you can't predict somebody making a mistake you'd like to think you can predict great plays and, you know, we in the media show them over and over and over again when they, when they happen. And we talk about them over and over and over again, but the reality is, you know, oftentimes, most times, it's actually a mistake that causes those plays. Not, not a, not a fantastic play that we've never seen before.
2: Do you expect that at some point Crosby Thornton, these guys are going to catch fire or, you know, I'm guessing the pressure is on them, but what gives in terms of them, not dominating the series
16: yeah that's a great you know that's a great question brian because i don't know and i think that's one of the things for me anyway that i find really intriguing about this series is that you know there are there are some elite supposedly elite level players and i say supposedly because you know there's there's always the detractors who have questions about you know who like to look at the warts on players rather than the you know the things they do well but i i gotta tell you that uh you know I think a lot of people thought that this series was going to be about Crosby and Thornton, and so far, by and large, it hasn't. It really hasn't. It's been about... It's been about the, the other players on the third and fourth lines on both both teams that oftentimes have been the, the difference makers in games. And so it, it is it is interesting to see, at least it's going to be interesting to see for me as this thing moves forward, is it is it in fact going to be a star player or a couple of star players that end up taking over this series and really blossoming and leading their teams? Because that's the storyline all of us in the media go with when you've got superstar players. When you've got, you know, this team, both teams right now have a couple of surefire Hall of Famers on them. And. And so the storyline for us in the media is always, you know, Thornton and Crosby, Marlowe and Malkin, Pavelski and Kessel and, you know, Couture and Burns and Latang. You know, we like to create these matchups. And so far in this series, that storyline has not been one either team has been willing to follow.
2: For the most part in the series, though, I would say Matt Murray has been a pretty consistent storyline throughout the whole playoffs. Yep. But I given that he is so young, given that he's inexperienced, can you blame him for these mistakes on, on Saturday night, including the game-winning goal where, you know, he might have been down too low and shot just goes over top?
16: Yeah. No, I don't think so. He's a 21-year-old goaltender over the course of the playoffs. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League in the playoffs. I don't think you can can really, you know, have a problem with that. And if you look at that, if you look at that game, you say to yourself, well, you know, Uh, There might have been a goal he would want back of, of those goals, but so far in this series, it's not like either team has given their goaltenders a whole lot of run support. You know, every game has been a one-goal game. So, you know, you look at the other guys who aren't playing goal and say to yourself, like literally, does the goaltender have to be the first star of every game for us to win? There is some responsibility for the other players to not put the goaltender in a situation where one mistake costs the team the game. You know, it it, it is it is a team game at the end of the day, and we like to concentrate on a mistake by a goaltender. But, you know, let's be honest. If if Pittsburgh buries their chances, no
2: nobody makes if as the, much. If the defense is doing their job, the the, the goalie doesn't have to do as much.
16: Well, it's not just the defense though you know like if you look at if you look at the way we talk about our game and you just watch any post game show, listen to any post game show, watch the analysis on t v there's far more time and far more replay spent reviewing a goal that a goaltender may be missed or misjudged than there is on a shooter who missed the net, you know. That That is one of the inequities of how we cover the game and how people in the game talk about the game. And it just is what it is. You know, it's not up to me or anybody else to remake the perspective that people have. But the fact is that if you look at the amount of time of review and discussion by experts about plays in games, mistakes by, goaltender, by goaltenders, are, are reviewed a million times more than a mistake by a shooter who missed the net. It's his job to score. It's his job to at least make the goaltender make a save. But when a goal scorer has a wide open net and misses it, we talk about it for four seconds and then move on to the next rush. You know, and all I'm saying is when you get into a playoff game, we can sit here and talk about the goal that Matt Murray should have had. But if you roll back the tape, we can talk about 10 shots that a scorer should have at least have forced the goalie to make a save on but missed the net. But those things do not get equitable conversation.
2: Helps when I turn my mic on. That works too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I turned it off to cough and forgot to turn it back on. It's a good thing I don't do this uh, hosting thing often. You know, you're, catch- uh, you're
16: catching on to it, though. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'll get around to it. Tonight's game, uh, game four. What are you expecting? Uh, there, you know, we've been talking about injuries throughout this uh, this entire playoff series, and they have not they've uh, not materialized in the finals. No,
16: I'm, I think I'm like everybody else in this. I, I think I'd like to see somebody, one of these teams, break it open. You know, one-goal one, one goal games are exciting, but I think I'd like to see somebody score a couple more goals. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I'd think i like the officials to kind of, and I, I don't mean to be overly demanding, but I, I think I'd like to see the officials call some of the rules, you know, just a few, so we see a few more power plays. We've gone through three games of this series. Each team has only had six power plays. You know, there's there's lots of games where you see a team has six power plays in one game. Each team has had six power plays in this series in three games. And there's only been one power play goal scored between the two of them. So, you know, what I mean, like, I, I, you know, in the early in game three, if you follow Twitter early in game three, even if you weren't watching, you must have seen all the tweets out there where Sidney Crosby was literally tackled on the way to the net. I mean, tackled on the way to the net. And there, there was neither of the two officials even even thought about you know going for their whistle so uh, as a fan as someone who enjoys watching the game i'd like to see a few of the rules called i'd like to see a couple of power plays i'd like to see i'd like to see one of these these teams open it up and, and generate some offense and I I, I I i will admit i'd like to see some of the stars do the star stuff dangle people score some spectacular goals i'd, I'd like to see that from an entertainment the side of things but i have no idea and uh, if we go by what we've seen so far we'll see another one a 2 1 game
2: tonight. 2 1 yeah. game, two <laughs> yeah, one game no in problem. overtime, and yeah. uh, Dean will be bored.
16: Yeah, well, I will be bored because anytime hockey's on, for me, it's it's like a drug. So I'm not going to be bored. <laughs> but if you ask me, uh, you know, do I want the chocolate dip cone of the Sunday? I-, I want the Sunday.
2: All right. Well, here's hoping you get it. Dean Brown, play by play voice of the Ottawa Senators. We will talk to you again on Wednesday, my friend. All right, All right Brian. Talk to you then. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments.
0: news with brian Lilly, news talk 580 cfra
2: coming up at uh, 1 patrick brown leader of the pc party will join us uh, unfortunately still have not heard back from uh, andrea horvath in terms of having her on but uh, perhaps tomorrow because i don't think this story is going to go away broke it this morning on the rebel brought it to you here at beyond the news and that is it Kathleen Wynn's campaign manager is given contracts worth just about $900,000 for research services directly from her office. It's called the cabinet office at Queen's Park. That is essentially her office awarding contracts worth almost $900,000. Now, this is on top of, as someone pointed out to me later on, listener emailing in a story about $1.1 million worth of caucus services contracts that David Hurley and the Gandalf Group received from the Liberal Caucus Services Office. So $2 million to Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager. We still haven't found out what he's getting paid in terms of uh, in terms of contracts from the Minister of the Environment or the Minister of Energy or any of the other places that we're hearing, Gandalf Group has contracts. It seems a little too cozy. So at question period this morning at Queen's Park, Patrick Brown got up. Now, he, I thought he asked a good question, not just because he gives me a shout-out, but because he got to the point. But Kathleen Wynne is still trying to uh, put forward answers same answers that her press secretary gave me yesterday. That senior liberals tell me just simply are not true. Here's part of the exchange.
3: Mr. Speaker, my question is for the premier. Not much this government does surprises me anymore. But when I learned that reporter Brian Lilly had a FO, an FOI that showed the premier handed out two contracts worth nearly $1 million to David Hurley and his company, the Gandalf Group, I was shocked. Let's not be mistaken, this is the same David Hurley who co-chaired the Premier's election campaign. And that is the same Gandalf Group that is the Liberals' personal and preferred polling company. David Hurley is being rewarded for his political work with nearly a million dollars of taxpayers' money. Mr. Speaker, does the Premier have an ounce of ethics left? Does the Premier think it is acceptable to hand out a million dollars worth of contracts to her Liberal pals and cronies? Does the Premier think that's acceptable?
8: Thank
10: you very much mr speaker and um, the member opposite will know that uh, that uh, market research and polling uh, companies have been uh, have been used by governments traditionally mr speaker in fact in fact there are um, at least six other uh, companies mr speaker that have uh, contracts forum research ipsos Read, strategic council ecos research Enveronics harris decima all have contracts with government mr speaker all of that Market research, the public opinion research conducted by the government, is procured through a fair and transparent, Border, competitive process. Every company has to be Border, qualified, please. has to be a vendor of record, Mr. Speaker, and has to compete for a project with no fewer than five competitors. And then the final decision about who, which vendor, is best suited for a project is made by a committee of at least three non-partisan public servants. That's the process that uh, all companies. Undergo, Thank you. Mr. Speaker.
2: All right, so Kathleen Wynne defending, uh, giving huge contracts to her campaign manager, David Hurley, by saying we employ other pollsters, except here's the problem. Those other pollsters, none of them received contracts from the cabinet office. None of them. The only polling firm, the only market research firm to get contracts from the premier's office was the man, from the man that ran her campaign. I've submitted a second batch of questions to the Premier's office asking for greater clarity. If these are polls paid for by the public, don't we have the right to know what what we paid for? Don't we have the right to know what questions were asked, what answers were given? So far, no response. We'll continue to push, though. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: I don't have a mark on my face, yes. and I'm on son, and listen, and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. And I wrote a little sharp poem it says there will be a killer, and a thriller, and a killer when I get the gorilla in Manila. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> I am. Great. I'm gonna float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. George can't hit what his hands can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. He think he will, but I know he won't. They tell me George is good, but I'm twice as nice. And I'm gonna stick to his butt like white all right. That's right. George was the greatest of all, all time. time. Of all time. All all time. time.
2: A little bit of a montage of Muhammad Ali, of course, passed away this uh, this past weekend. Spider Jones joins me now. We used to work together back in the day at News Talk 1010 in Toronto. And uh, Spider, that's not why I'm having you on. I'm having you on because you're a, a former boxer as well, a boxing MC, and friend of Muhammad Ali.
15: Uh, that that I listened to that montage, and, and honestly, God it's probably the first time. In a couple days, that I've actually burst out in laughter, yeah, because it was—he was fun. He wasn't just a great fighter and a great human being;
2: he was so much fun. um, He—I mean, he was a character. You you heard him now. I'm 22 years old. I just beat Sonny Liston. I must be the greatest. Is it arrogance? If you are, you know what—he
15: was a trash talker, but when you—he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't. When I compare when we when we today when we we look at people like Floyd Money Mayweather, that's arrogance. I think Ali just was fun. He had fun and he loved it. Yes, he bragged, he boasted, but he backed it up. You know, if you got it flaunted. It.
2: And I can't think of a boxer that's like that today. I know. I know boxing is. You know, I guess it's gone on um, fallen by the wayside a bit as MMA has come up, but I still like boxing better. And, you know, is there someone of that caliber, both as a character and as a boxer? And I don't see it.
15: And and you probably won't, Brian. Uh, We had our time. Things come and go. Muhammad Ali was not just a boxer. He was a uh, uh, an advocate for for for, uh, justice, uh, equal rights. Uh, he, He was I mean, the guy was handsome. He was pretty like he said. He, he, had, he was poetry in motion. He boxed. His combinations were, were lightning fast. What did he say one time? I'm so fast, I play ping pong by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, he was an amazing man. You no, know, I haven't seen nothing like it, and you will not. I, I think the last real exciting fighter that I've seen, and not in Ellie's class, was Mike Tyson. But Ellie came up a time when boxing was at its greatest I call it the golden era because you had Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Ernie Schumer, Sugar Ray, Leonard Sugar Ray, I mean, uh, uh, Marvin Hanker, Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran. I, Brian, they were all the same kind of name. I want to ask you, you,
2: you. To ask you about one of the guys that uh, you share hometown. Well, you're originally from Windsor, and we'll get into that and how you got into boxing and how you knew Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, George Tavallo of Toronto, where you both live now, it's one of the few people to go up against him twice and and, and do so well. I mean, Chavalo uh, Angelo Dundee said he just wouldn't stop coming.
15: I remember their first fight. I was living at the gym in Toronto at the time. I just got out of prison, you know, you know. I had a past, and uh, I, I lived in the gym. and 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 funny thing, George Chavala had arranged that. It was the most electrifying uh, time in the city, and I've never seen anything since then. Uh, in, in 1966, in March of that year, when Muhammad Ali, the most famous man on the planet, came to Toronto uh, for what he thought would be a walk in the park, a cakewalk, uh, and, and, and most people did. Even the great writers here like Milton Nell, uh, legendary Milton Nell, uh, thought George had about as much chance as a politician, or I should say as an ice cube in a politician's mouth. I mean, <laughs> they didn't think he, would, he was going to do it, but... Uh, George gave him all he could handle I was at ringside, I watched it and I gotta tell you, uh, they went 15 rounds on that particular fight 15 grueling, brutal rounds. And, and, and it was a decision He wanted a decision, he was gonna knock George out, nobody ever knocked George out, nobody ever knocked George down, including Fraser, including Foreman including Ali, twice
2: That must have been something to see yeah. Now, you, you're just a few years younger than Muhammad Ali uh, but four years, is yeah. it? So, uh, three, three years younger. Okay. Yeah. How, um, uh, how did you get to know him? You, you grew up in Windsor and Detroit. You, um, as you say, I, you got, I, a, you had a past.
15: I, I, went, I, I just, I just got out of prison. I moved to Detroit and then I, I, I mean, it's more Windsor, but I pretty much grew up in Detroit, Left Detroit, came. And my, I have my, my mother's American, my father's Canadian. So I came to Toronto with George Chevallo. I met George in Detroit at the Motors City Gym, a very famous gym back then, and uh, we had the same trainer. So I came to Toronto, and uh, I got into some trouble. Ended up doing a couple years in uh, for my larcenous uh, behavior in Millbrook. Got out. and lived at Sully's Gym and lived at the gym and kept the gym clean, had a little room in the back, and that's when Allie came to Toronto to fight George. And that's when I met him, uh, early March of 1966. In fact, Brian, I was the first person to know he was coming. I took the call from uh, Donnie Album, who was uh, uh, involved in boxing, a guy to Erie, Pennsylvania, because they had canceled Montreal. He, Allie was supposed to fight Ernie Terrell, but that didn't fall through. So he ended up coming to Toronto, and that's how I got to meet him. And when he left, I went with him. I sparred with him and hung with him. And we 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 remained friends. But you know what? He would have did the same with anyone. You'd have probably been been his friend if you'd met. He was that kind of person. He liked everybody. Ali might have been the most famous guy on the planet. He may have been the heavyweight champion of the world. But he liked people, and he had a lot of friends. I was just one of them that was honored to share part of his life.
2: You um there's be, there's been some talk about him being a fighter for justice and you mentioned that and that's a fight that you've been involved in fill me in on it on his viewpoints there where did he come from on that cuz when he, when he won the the gold medal uh he wasn't even he couldn't even be served at restaurants in his hometown of louisville kentucky cuz of race
15: that bothered him uh i, I it would bother anybody rem- yeah i remember when he came back from the olympics he shined with a group of people out of out of uh Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and one of them owned a restaurant, so he had a meeting with them, and he was to meet them there, and he entered through the front door still wearing his gold medal, and one of the guys says, you can't do that, man. You know the rules. You got to go through the back door and come in here. Allie was very upset. They say he went to the Ohio River right after that and threw his... His his uh, gold medal, but he didn't. He said that was all, just a con job. He he kept his gold medal, <laughs> but at, but at any rate, yeah, he came along at a time when the Vietnam War. Uh, uh, he didn't like it. He wasn't going to go. He refused to go. And you know what, Brian? Here's the point, people. A lot of people don't th- don't remember. He stood up to the United States establishment, knowing that they would try to put him under the jail. Uh, he, he he sacrificed his best years. We never saw him fight in his prime because for a heavyweight, the prime was 26 to 30. That was the four years he was exiled. They took away his passport and didn't allow him to leave the country. Uh, they took away his boxing, uh, uh, champ. I mean, his heavyweight championship. And that four years, 26 to 30, when a fighter is in his prime as a heavyweight, he was not allowed to fight. Imagine that, what he would have accomplished if he would have had that four years, especially with an active fighter. But he stood up. He could have had a cushy career. He said, no, I am not going to Vietnam and kill them people when in my own country they treat us like something the puppy left on the carpet. And, and I understood that, and he stood by that, knowing that even if he joined the Army, it'd be cushy. He would just fight exhibitions.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he 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 wouldn't have been out fighting. Well, he would no, have been he would, boxing. He wouldn't have been fighting in in the jungles.
15: It was like the same thing they did with Joe Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson, and Jack Dempsey. Well, I mean, when Robinson and Lewis served time in the army. They 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 traveled around and entertained the boxers. I mean, entertained the the troops. And that's but Ali was a man of strong conviction. Whether you you believe or not, and at the time, remember he wasn't as popular. There were many many conservative-minded Americans that didn't like him. They were losing their sons. In Vietnam, kids, people were coming back in body bags. Others were coming back uh, 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 minus body parts, and so they looked at him as a traitor. They wanted, and I can kind of them. see
2: their point as well, like uh, of why they would be upset. But at the uh,
15: time, we because we didn't have the education, we didn't know. It all came into perspective later on that it was a, it was an unjust war, and now he became and then his his his. his his fame just grew, and people began to respect this man that stood up to the establishment. He stood up for the little guy. He loved his people. He was a black Muslim, but he wasn't a hate monger. He wasn't a race baiter in terms of he had friends of all cultures. He loved Jews. He loved blacks. He loved I mean, we know he loved blacks, but whites. I mean, he I remember one time when Don King said something wrong, Dianne. Angelo Dundee, Ali got so mad. He said, don't you ever, don't you ever talk to my friend like that again. Never. So, and I had a chance to hang with him to see that side of him. He was a very giving person.
2: Angelo Dundee was probably his closest uh, associate in in the boxing world. You know, and he's white. He was his trainer. He was his corner man. You can't turn around and say he didn't like white folk.
15: Well, he had a lot of white friends. I can tell you now he had a lot of white friends. And Cosell defended him to the end.
2: Let, let me ask you about this. Uh, speaking with Spider Jones, uh, golden glove champ, broadcaster, motivational speaker, friend of Muhammad Ali. Uh, spider boxing, because of what happened to Muhammad Ali, because of what's happened to so many greats, boxing is seen as, oh, you're just going to get injured. It's going to lead to head injuries. All of that can happen, of course. But is it still uh, is it still a beautiful sport? Is it still something that uh, that more people should be involved in, young people who need an outlet for their energy.
15: I think as an amateur, it's a great outlet, and, and it's a great development of self-discipline. Uh, and 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 you set goals because when you first start boxing, nobody's going to hit a bag for three rounds. Nobody can hit a bag for more than 30, 40 seconds without, uh, you know, sucking wind. Uh, and you're protected because you have the headgear, but if the professional... I mean, the waters are full of sharks and piranha. Uh, That's one of the reasons it's declined. Too many sanctioning bodies now, too many champions. When I was a kid growing up, you knew who the champion was in each division in the heavyweight championship at the time, a valley, and Joe Lewis and these guys was the most covetous, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, thing in, in, in sports. Everybody loved the fighter. You see all the athletes, all the entertainers show up. They love being around fighters. Things have changed, and Ali's and, and not funny when there are many of them that are, I mean, you know, the concussions. You fight with them. I probably fought through concussions and didn't know I had them because we weren't educated Okay, now, Brian. But I would not, uh, personally speaking, amateur boxing, great outlet. I, I, I wouldn't deny it. But as a pro, I try to discourage people.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, you bring a, a unique perspective, Spider. It's great talking to you always, and uh, thanks for sharing the memories today.
15: It is my pleasure thanks for having me Brian
2: right, Spider Jones broadcaster former boxer and uh, boxing um, MC he's he's worn a lot of hats motivational speaker now. I'm Brian Lilly this is beyond the news back in moments.
0: hated in official Ottawa which is okay in our books beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA
2: we were speaking earlier with David Aiken about the F-35 replacement and that the liberals might be bringing in the super hornet as a stopgap measure one of the people working on that story is John Iveson from Post Media he joins me now and uh, uh, John, I just want to quickly find out, is is there more coming out on this? It, it seems like Liberals are are leaking all over the place on this story lately.
7: Well, yeah, I mean, they're not leaking the story, put it that way. They would rather this thing be kept in, in the bottle because um, I think uh, they want to sell it as solving the problem. Um, but in fact, it looks uh, too clever by half. I mean, what, what essentially happens is, is going to happen here, I think is that uh, they will say we're buying some Super Hornets as an interim measure uh, until we have a, a competition for a full-time replacement for the CF-18s, obviously punting that problem down the road by any How many times
2: can you study what plane to buy?
7: Well, exactly. And, and uh, you know, the Super Hornet is, is a, a plane that's reaching the end of its lifespan. I mean, we're talking into the 2030s, but if you're buying, if you're spending that much money on a, on a, on a fighter jet, you want it to be able to last, Forty, fifty years, and um, you know this is all conditioned by the electoral pledge. We are not going to buy the F thirty five. If they held a competition, they couldn't really exclude the F thirty five. They'd probably get sued by Lockheed Martin if they did. So, and they don't want the F thirty five to win that competition. So, what do you do? You you postpone the competition, inevitably, and uh, in, not uh, forever. But you can, if you say, if you've got an interim measure, we've got we've got what Sejan, the defence minister, called a capability gap. Now, this capability gap wasn't even known about uh, by anybody, including in the Department of National National Defence, uh, until Sejan identified it. Um, you know, I've got statements here from the from the head of the uh, Canadian uh, Air Force saying, you know, the, the CF-18s will be good until mid-2020s and beyond, perhaps, with uh, if if we use them sparingly and we upgrade them. So, this capability gap emerges, which is the pretext for these interim planes. It's all a political construct. And essentially, if it's sole-sourced, which is pretty much illegal unless you declare an issue of national security, then uh, they're doing exactly the same as the Conservatives did with the F-35.
2: Well, it's um, it's not unprecedented. The, the Globemaster, that was sole-sourced directly from Boeing.
7: Right. And I think, though, that uh, in certain cases you can cite national security. But, you know, in that case, we were in Afghanistan and we needed gear pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, This is a different ball of wax altogether.
2: They're going to be getting themselves into trouble with this one. Uh, Speaking of getting themselves into trouble, Maryam Monsif, I think, has just been a disaster in the House of Commons for the last little while, trying to sell democratic reform. You had favorable things to say about the change of the committee last week. How do you read her comments, though, about Canadians need to buy in? I still don't take that as saying they accept a referendum. They no, have been quite, adamant quite against a referendum. I think you know if you buy in with enough Twitter hashtags, they'll say they've got uh, a, a go of it.
7: Yeah, I think the the, the door has been slammed firmly shut on a referendum because they now have got a um, the NDP. Have, have got, with the NDP, the Liberals would have a majority, and the NDP don't want to want a referendum. Certainly not before the next election. Um, you know Nathan Cullen, the critics on record, as saying he favours a referendum after one or two elections have been used, uh, using the alternative method of voting. Which you know is not a, a terrible thing to uh, to advocate if you think that if you firmly believe this new um, system is is the right one. I mean, I think my my um, big problem with it was that, that because the committee was stacked, obviously they were going to get the result they wanted. I mean the government can still ignore whatever the committee comes up with, but the, the political cover is gone if um if they don't have well, li- at li- least li- one other party on side.
2: And they will have the Greens on side. Elizabeth, Greens on side. Elizabeth, May, Elizabeth May has essentially been a stalking horse for the Liberals for the last while and votes in concert with them at every turn.
7: Yeah, yeah. I think that they would the, the the Greens. Uh, But, of course, in the prior arrangement, the Greens didn't have a vote, so Mm -hmm. um, giving them a vote gives essentially one more Liberal, but they they would still need the NDP to be – because the chairman doesn't vote unless there's a tie. So I think that uh, we'll see a little bit more balance, but, uh, yeah, it's not been a uh – a glorious uh, few weeks for the Liberals. I mean, the, when, the, when the Prime Minister comes out and said, yeah, we're behaving like the, the Conservatives, I mean, I'm just likening, the, in the uh, F-35 story, likening it to Animal Farm just a bit. You know, you've got the, the pigs have taken over and they're, they're looking pretty human right now.
2: <laughs> John, great talking as always. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Watch for more coming from John Iveson in uh, post-media newspapers over the next couple of days. Uh, Patrick Brown was supposed to be joining us. He'll be joining us in about 15 minutes' time. Don't go away. When we come back... Dr. Jeff Noakes, historian on the Second World War from the Canadian War Museum, will join us. 72nd anniversary of D-Day today. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
2: June 6, 1944, 150,000 troops spread out across 80 kilometers for the invasion of Normandy. Of course, Canada was part of that at Juneau Beach. Here to talk a little bit about it is Dr. Jeff Noakes. He's a historian at the Canadian War Museum. And uh, Dr. Noakes, I always knew it was big. I always knew there were a lot of soldiers going onto the beaches. I didn't realize how spread out they were. Until I was reading that on the, the War Museum's website, 80 kilometers wide. Wow.
17: Oh, yes, it certainly is. It's, it's a huge area. If you've ever had the chance to be in France and to try to drive along the invasion beaches, it, it, <laughs> it'll take you quite a bit of time to get along all of them. Um, and it's not just along the beaches, of course. It's also inland with the parachutists, too.
2: So 14,000 Canadians, and we, we see the the images, both the the fictional ones in movies, but also newsreel images from the time. Often these men were were walking onto beaches as the uh, under gunfire. And yet, remarkably, we, we lost fewer than 400 men on the Canadian side. Uh,
17: yes, I mean, if you've seen the footage, and of course, there's the, there's the very, very famous footage that's actually shot on Juneau Beach of the men from the North Shore Regiment going ashore um, you know, it's, it's that famous footage taken from behind of them as they're weaving the landing craft, and you can see the houses on the shore in the background. Uh, so, yes, a lot of them are going ashore under fire, especially in the first couple of waves. Um, of course, the 14,000 are the people who go ashore throughout the day from first thing in the morning until until well into the evening, into the night. Um, so the losses are usually amongst the first waves who go ashore because that's when the defenses are still their most
2: active. You mentioned the paratroopers. Yes. Yeah. Um, were Canadians part of the, the, the paratroopers going in behind enemy lines, and then how, how did that work? Were they Was their job to work back towards the front line? Well,
17: yes. The, first off, the Canadian paratroopers are there. There's the 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion, and it's part of um, a larger British formation that parachutes in. And part of what they're doing is they're grabbing and holding the flanks, so in other words, the the outer edges of the landing areas, uh, and specifically uh, protecting against German counterattacks and also keeping Germans from destroying bridges and other things like that. So they're performing really important roles to make sure that once the soldiers land on the beaches, they can keep moving inland.
2: Okay, so, I mean, we don't think about that unless you've been involved in, in war or studied history a great deal. Those bridges aren't there. You're not moving forward in in terms of trying to gain more ground.
17: Oh, exactly. Things like rivers are huge natu- natural obstacles and defensive lines. So unless you grab the famous case in D-Day's Pegasus Bridge that some of your viewers may have heard of, um, and the British Airborne managed to seize that, and if they hadn't seized it, it would have been it would have been a problem for the Allies. Um, it would have held up the Allied advance, for instance. So these are things that Allied planners thought about in the in the months, the years that led up to the D-Day landings.
2: It's remarkable when you think of how long the war lasted, uh, 2nd September 1939 to the 8th of May 1945. That's a a very long war by any standard. And yet between uh, D-Day and V-E-Day, it's basically 11 months.
17: Yes, it is. And uh, it's a very long war. And, of course, it's... Um, at the outset of the war the German German forces score stunning successes in Western Europe and on the Eastern Front. And part of why the war lasts so long is what it takes to to prepare for the Allied counterattacks and to roll back the German forces. But yes, exactly, as you say, from from June sixth through to May eighth, the end of the war in Europe, it's it's less than a year. So it's from Normandy until there are Canadians throughout the Netherlands into Germany itself on you know in the early days of may when the war in europe finally ends so it's really quite uh it's really quite a dramatic uh, quite a dramatic 11 months time
2: canadians were almost 10% of the d day force would that have been given the size of the respective armies that were there from all over would that have been punching above our weight about equal where where would you place that
17: um well that's I mean it's it's worth remembering Canadians are also in Italy at the time. So part of what the Canada's ability to participate in D Day is the fact that there have been Canadians in it, in Italy since July of nineteen forty three where they've been fighting there. Um it it is and it's not just the troops on the ground. Um it's also it's also the members of the RCAF who are flying protection above the beaches and the Royal Canadian Navy that's there supporting the landings. Um Canada, in terms of the Allied powers that are taking part in the landings, there are five beaches. There are two British, two American, one Canadian. Um, and so in the sense that it's a Canadian beach, Canada is punching above its weight. It's it's there as a full partner in the invasion and in how it unfolds. And Juneau Beach is, is, you know, is the Canadian beach for the landings.
2: Vastly different result than the other attempt at a landing. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking of Dieppe. I know there have been books and uh, and articles come out over the last few years that are painting Dieppe in a different light. That it wasn't a uh, a blunder. It wasn't sending our men into uh, harm's way for naught. That that it was actually just a pin trade to get a a, a new. Um, all of a sudden, the name of the machines got out of my head. <laughs> Enigma machine. Enigma machine. Yes.
17: yes oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, people are. I mean, there's been the documentary on television recently and David O'Keefe's book as well that the documentary is based on. Um, and it's, it's certainly it's, it's a new theory presenting or arguing why the Dieppe raid happened and what some of the fundamental you know, reasons for the Allies staging it were. Um, you'll get different opinions from different historians about whether the going after the Enigma machine was the main reason for the raid or whether it was an additional reason for the raid. But I think what it certainly shows is that there's still an interest in these events more than 70 years later.
2: Well, I I, I don't think that w- it, it is fairly recent confirmation about the Enigma machine, correct?
17: It's within the last couple of years.
2: Yes. Yeah. So uh, for for the longest time, when I was uh, in school, we were taught that it was a uh, that Dieppe was a, a major catastrophic mistake that we were testing their defenses and uh, the Canadians were sacrificed. This does put it in a different light. Um, Yes, I
17: mean absolutely. It's a new way of looking at the at the reasons for the raid uh, and at uh, evaluating whether the risks, basically evaluating whether the risks were worth having been taken. Um, you know, if, if you say this is for an Enigma machine that's important to the Allied war effort, um, then it makes greater risks more justifiable. Obviously, okay. um, so um, so yes, but it, but it is obviously new light being shed on historic events that. You know, that people may have thought were already basically settled and understood.
2: And instead, we're constantly learning history again.
17: Oh, we absolutely are, and that's that's one of the things we learn about history is that we keep learning new things about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dr. Jeff Noakes is historian at the Canadian War Museum. Thanks for the time today, sir. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, yeah, Patrick Brown, they're telling me he's calling in this time, so we're going to hold him to it. Get his thoughts on Kathleen Wynne and uh, this whole contract issue. Back in moments.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa
10: very much mr. speaker and um, the member opposite will know that uh, that uh, market research and polling uh, companies have been uh, have been used by governments traditionally mr. speaker in fact in fact there are um, at least six other uh, companies mr. speaker that have uh, contracts forum research Ipsos Reid, strategic Council ecos research and Harris Decima all have contracts with government mr. speaker all of that market Market research, the public opinion research conducted by the government is procured through a fair and transparent, Border, competitive process. Every company has okay, to be. Okay, I think I've had
2: enough that. of that. That's retric- Kathleen Wynne in uh, the Queens Park in the legislature this morning, giving an answer to Patrick Brown on the story that we broke this morning at the Rebel Media. If you have not, uh, if you missed the show earlier today, you haven't read the story. Go share it on Facebook right now. Like while you're listening to us, share it on Facebook. Nine hundred thousand dollars, or just shy of nine hundred thousand dollars, in contract to do market research from Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager, Patrick Brown, joins me on the line now. Uh, Mr. Brown, uh, thanks for taking the time out of the day and for raising this issue. To me, this this seems more than cozy.
18: It is crossing all ethical lines. Uh, It's just another blatant example of the complete disrespect that this government of Kathleen Wynne has for taxpayer dollars. The notion that she would give $900,000 from her cabinet office to her campaign chair, David Hurley, this could just be the tip of the iceberg. I asked a question in the legislature uh, if this is common practice in other ministries, and she wouldn't answer. Uh, she just quoted other spending that she had done. Uh, it is not appropriate.
2: Well, for her and, to it, use, and I yeah. just want to mention she she keeps going back, and her office did this in an email to me. They keep going back to Ipsos. Ipsos is a very well known, well respected polling firm. It's a global polling firm they did not get a contract from her office that was from another department the only polling firm that got a contract from her office is the one headed a buyer campaign manager
18: it is it is her campaign manager it is her political strategist it is another example of this this government only caring what's in the best interest of the liberal party we saw this with the donation scandal where those that got government business were, were those that donated to the Liberal Party, and now we're seeing that they're using their cabinet office directly under the, the the control of Kathleen Wynne to give almost a million dollars to her campaign manager. You know, we had kids today watching in the legislature, uh, kids fighting to have IBI therapy uh, for, for autism. Uh, they're cutting those kids off from their therapy at the same time Uh, Secretly funneling money to her campaign chair—it's just—it's egregious, it's wrong, and it's just another example of how Kathleen Wynne and this Liberal government is completely out to lunch.
2: Now, I've spoken to senior Liberals who have worked at Queen's Park, and they say no—the description of how that, the description the Liberals are giving that Kathleen Wynne is now giving on how those contracts were handed out is not how it actually works. Do you believe that the, in the cabinet office there is no political interference from the premier to say, I want this polling firm to do research for me in my office?
18: Of course there's political interference. Everyone knows that. And, and the provincial treasury shouldn't be the personal piggy bank for Ms. Wynn's cronies. And, and, and that's what she's doing. She's using the provincial taxpayer resources by using her cabinet office to direct funds to her campaign. And you know, this is a tired, cynical government that has lost its way.
2: At the federal level, I mean, I can't imagine if Stephen Harper had turned around and given Doug Finley $900,000 in polling contracts, uh, what the reaction would be. Is this being talked about down at Queen's Park? Is there is there a buzz generating about this? It, it's tough to tell from my perch up here in Ottawa.
18: Well, there was certainly a gasp when when people were hearing uh, about this uh, revelation, and I actually mentioned that it was uh, it was Brian Lilly who brought it up first through his through his journalistic efforts. And uh, I I just had to say this government has had so many scandals. Even this, it sounds egregious. It's almost like uh, the gallery, the press gallery at Queens Park, is becoming used to a government running from scandal to scandal to scandal. It's typical for Kathleen Lynn. It's ongoing. It's a decision to favor her friends rather than what's in the best interest of the province. It's all about the Liberal Party and friends of the Liberal Party.
2: Well, Adrian Morrow, who's a member of the press gallery down at Queen's Park, I believe, wrote a story last fall. He's with the Globe and Mail, wrote a story last fall on how out of caucus services, and your party has caucus services and you can award contracts to and sometimes I'm sure it's to to friends uh, or consultants that are friendly to the PC party and the NDP can do that as well. But in the liberal caucus services, once again, David Hurley was the biggest beneficiary, one point one million dollars in contracts from caucus services, almost nine hundred thousand from uh, the cabinet office. So that's two million. And my understanding is this guy is also dipping into several different government departments with contracts. uh it, Is it incumbent upon the premier just to come clean with all the different polling that they are paying David Hurley to do?
6: Well,
18: I demanded that of of the premier. I said, come clean, uh, tell us uh, how many other contracts there are in other ministries. She wouldn't answer the question. Obviously, she has something to hide. Obviously, there are many more contracts out there. Uh, But let's be crystal clear. This is a strategic way for Kathleen Wynne to take taxpayer resources, and give it to the campaign manager of the Liberal Party. This is very intentional, it is very wrong, it is about using uh, precious resources that should be for health care and education and environment and infrastructure, but using it for the self-interest of the Liberal Party. Uh,
2: it's uh, it's unfortunate, whether it is that way, it definitely appears to be that way and uh... I, I keep putting in questions to her office. We're not getting responses, and hopefully you're able to get to some sort of uh, sense of what's going on. I right. think
18: they only respond if you attend one of their ten thousand dollars plate fundraising dinners. Yeah, well, and, I, and a good thing if you go to one of those, you might get a win contract too, Brian.
2: <laughs> I, I might. Uh, look, I actually, I just got a response back from the uh, the premier's office. I, I I'm gonna read off the questions that I asked uh, speaking with Patrick Brown. I said, can you tell me what exactly Ontario taxpayers receive for the nearly $900,000 in contracts? Are these polls public? Is there a record of the RFP, the tender process, the selection criteria? I asked all of this, and they just sent me the transcript from QP today. That's what they sent. So they're not going to answer on anything. I hope you keep up the pressure on this, Patrick, and uh, we'll continue listening down at Queen's Park.
18: And We're not going to stop. You know, This is an unethical, unaccountable government and Um, we're we're, we're not going to relent.
2: All right. Thanks for the time. Patrick Brown, leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. That wraps the show for today. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Make sure you're sharing these things on Facebook so that people hear more about it. Evan Solomon standing by. Graham Richardson with the news. Back tomorrow.